The boys are back in town. <laughs> that's right. The boys. That's us. We're back. And welcome to another episode of The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm joined, as always, by Ben Sheets. Hello, hello, hello. And Eugene Lundin. Hi there, everybody. Hope you have managed to survive the new year, because, man, it's been a wild two weeks already. Well, at the time we're recording this, who knows what's going to happen once this comes out. But... Happy Martin Luther King Day. Yes, right? We are going to celebrate diversity and... Talk Free about love and <laughs> movies with a bunch of white people in them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really did not plan this very well, did we? No, no. We, we, we did not consider doing a Martin Luther King horror movie episode, but we should have. Uh, we really appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, we know we're late getting an episode up after our year in review. Just some uh, traveling and spending time with our families for the holidays in our respective corners of the country. But we're back, and we're ready to hit the ground running. So, Ben, why don't you uh, tell us about some some fresh news in 2018? Sure. Um, I know last episode we talked about several upcoming movies, um, and I wanted to give a quick recap on some news about those. So, first off, um, we have God Particle, the new Cloverfield movie. Uh, it was scheduled to release next month, I think, uh, sometime mid next month, and it has been delayed until April 20th. 420! Yeah, 420. Weed is yeah. the god particle. Yeah, weed is the true god particle. THC. THC, man. <laughs> the whole movie is just an episode of Joe Rogan. Oh, fuck. That's what Cloverfield <laughs> means. It's a field oh, of green. Oh, oh, shit. Fuck, dude. We just uncovered the meta. You just blew my fucking mind, man. That alien's just a squid who got two stoned and started <laughs> breaking up New York City. I'll have what he's having. <laughs> I, I did see that this got delayed on Twitter, but I didn't do any research. Did they say why it's delayed? It it was delayed earlier this When year. was it originally supposed to come I out? I think it was either supposed to come out this month, January, or December of last year. It's weird because we haven't gotten any trailers for it. There's no posters. There's no information about it. I had not heard shit about it. Until... I feel like they're trying to drop it out of the blue as much as possible, which kind of is cool. And it's kind of, if it's a Cloverfield sequel, I feel like that's kind of in their wheelhouse. They sort of did yeah. the same thing with the first Cloverfield. Like they had previews and stuff for it, yeah. but they didn't tell you anything. No, they didn't even say what movie it was. I, for like, the longest time, It was all found time, footage, yeah. and at the end it would say like 11808 or something. Yeah, I remember that that very well actually so i guess that sort of makes sense i wonder if they're delaying it to try to get it as far out of the fuck you it's january dumping ground as possible yeah but at the same time they're not going to have any competition if they release it now especially if it's a good movie i mean that's true it would sort of overtake everything else but maybe they just don't think anybody will go see it considering the time of year and that they've released no information about yeah, it. Yeah, I I've, suppose. I had not heard about it at all until you brought it up in the last episode, and I have heard nobody talking about it anywhere either. I saw the one thing on Twitter about it getting delayed, but other than that, like, does anybody even know this movie is coming out? No, I don't think so. And that's why it's kind of exciting to me, because considering how much I liked uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane... 
Yeah, like, and even and even the original Cloverfield, I enjoy quite a bit. Yeah, it, well, it was definitely in that in that uh, brief span of time before found footage films got frustratingly oversaturated. One thing, because uh, I know Ten Cloverfield Lane was a script that was made completely independent of the Cloverfield series. It ended up getting picked up and turned into a Cloverfield sequel sort of right they they say it's more of like a spiritual sequel and that it takes place in the same universe right yeah it doesn't really have much connection otherwise unless the aliens from 10 cloverfield lane made the the big monster from the first one but maybe we'll get some dumb tie-in like that i mean the last like 20 minutes of 10 cloverfield lane feels like it felt like they made it after they decided it was a Cloverfield movie, right? They I kind of agree. To have yeah. an alien, like, just yeah. To... Honestly, like the the idea of a Cloverfield. What this is a prequel? Is it supposed to kind be? Kind of. That uh, kind of makes me nervous. When Cloverfield came out, I was like twelve. I guess I don't know. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I was young, and I was really obsessed with it. And I did like all kinds of like research on the internet. To, like, Same. Okay, good. With all right. The, I'm glad like one eighteen oh eight and the ARG and all that. Right. And I sweet. I remember discovering how in that last shot of Cloverfield, where it's like uh, the guy and the girl at Coney Island on the Ferris wheel, and way off in the background, you can see something like crashing into the yeah, ocean. Yeah. Uh, which is super easy to miss. I when I saw that the first time it blew my mind and now it's just kind of like whatever. Yeah. But I'm wondering if that is going to be what this new movie is about. Like what happened in space that made whatever that was crash into the ocean and create the the I could see them tying monster. it very indirectly if anything. I think the more indirectly they do it the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't a, and it's not going to be like a found footage style film, is it? Do you know? I have, that would be there's bad. nothing about this. On IMDb, it's still called Cloverfield Movie. <laughs> okay. So, well, yeah. I mean, I my initial impulse would be to say, fuck having uh, a found footage prequel of Cloverfield. But at the same time, if it's in space... I almost feel like having it be like from cameras that are set up around the space station would possibly make it more interesting than just uh, Alien or Life 2, which is basically what this uh, plot sounds like. I don't know. I don't know. I'm super skeptical. I don't know what to do with this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very confused, but I'm kind of I'm kind of excited. I'm hesitantly excited, so we'll see. I'm I'm sure we'll be able to talk about this probably at length once the movie finally comes out. Yeah, if it comes out. If it comes out. <laughs> hopefully it won't get pushed back yeah. again because, goddamn, honestly, my curiosity is killing me more than anything else. It'll be interesting seeing what they do with it. So... On from that, we have our first results in from our movie guessing game. From our year-long movie guessing yes, game? Yes. Uh, Insidious, uh, number four, five. The Last Key is yeah, the subtitle. Yeah. I don't know what number it is, the, but I don't care. Insidious, the Skeleton Key, uh, came out. Yes, why don't and, you uh, why don't you remind us of our own predictions yes. before so, you tell us what the actual uh, results were? 
So, Matisse, you guessed that it would get a 28 on Rotten Tomatoes and it would make $25 million. Eugene, you guessed it would get a 38 on Rotten Tomatoes and make $50 million at the box office. And I guessed it would uh, get a 42 on Rotten Tomatoes and make $40 million at the box office. And what were those um, results? So, the results are in and... The actual Rotten Tomatoes score, last time I checked, was at 28. Let Which me see is if it's changed exactly what I guessed. Wowee. Let's see if it's changed at all. Oh, actually. What is it now? It is 33 now. Climbing. Interesting. Yeah. 33. So. It's like right in the middle between both of ours. Yep. Damn. So I guess you guys are tied. For that one. But I think he's much closer in terms of the box office, unless that's changed. Uh, let me well, check if it's changed. Yeah, it's just the, opening weekend. The opening weekend ha- was $29.6 million. Oh, damn. And what did I say? $25 million? Yep. $25 million. Um, It's all-time domestic box office right now is $48 million. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we all expected this to do bad, and sure enough, it it did bad. Right. There are, at this point now, with all the great horror movies that came out last year, I think people are going to get really burned out on franchises. Because I think so, too. So many great original films, well, not even original, it was just a good, well-made movie without having to be part of an existing franchise. I mean, it's a remake, but it's not relying on, like, four other movies to build up all its context. Right. Well, I was just actually talking with somebody about this the other day. I feel like in the last, like, four or five years, we've started to enter sort of, like, a renaissance for horror movies because it seems like there's been a a much higher quantity of, like, high-concept horror movies that are done by, like, serious artists who actually want to make a good movie rather than just, like, a box office cash grab. I yeah. mean, just look at stuff like last year, like we mentioned, uh, Get Out. But then before that, we have some stuff like It Follows and The Witch and The Babadook, which have all been like my favorite movies of those respective years and are just so good. And I think we're going to start getting more and more of those. And I think you're right, Eugene. I think the franchises are going to start dying, at least for horror, because people are going to get really fucking fed up with it fast. Yeah, uh, which is super interesting because we'll talk about it a little later when we get to our game. But there's a surprising amount of like art house movies breaking like top 10 in horror movie box yeah. office. There, and there's so. that uh, there's that new one uh, directed by John Krasinski, right? Coming out, A Quiet Place, I think. Yeah, which looks, I mean, it could be cool. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keeping movie my expectations in the middle ground, but uh, conceptually it seems pretty cool. The trailer looks good. Has he directed other films before? He has, but they're like okay, comedies. I, I, I don't know. So uh, I guess we'll see. I mean, if we learned one thing from last year is that uh, comedians can make very good horror movies. Yes. With uh, Jordan Peele doing Get Out. So yeah. maybe it'll be uh, the same kind of thing. But it seems like, uh, you know, it, that's sort of in that same boat of like high concept, uh, more independent art house style horror so uh, I'm excited enough for that, I think. Yeah, it could be good. 
Um, so yeah, uh, it's been a while since we recorded our last episode. Have you guys seen any uh, good horror movies in the break? I know I finally got around to seeing It. And what you think of it? Oh man, it was it was good. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It really emphasizes that it's a horror movie and it's pacing. Like every five right. minutes, there's a scary scene. But like the the scares were pretty legitimately effective for yeah. the most part. I thought it was pretty solid overall. Um, very entertaining. I watched it with my brother. He's he gets scared by horror movies, so it's entertaining to see someone who was actually affected by it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> you know? get that uh, very often. I tend to watch horror movies with like you guys and other friends who are just right, super that's into something... it, super desensitized. I'll tell you what, though. That scene in It with the projector, Yeah, I thought that, that was legitimately creepy. To I me. thought so, like, too, was... un- until he came out of the wall very large. Yeah, I thought that was kind of silly. It didn't bother me too much, but I thought the build up to that was really good. I, I thought it was really effective overall. I I mean, don't like, get me wrong. Overall, I think that movie is uh, really great yeah. and true to the source material. And I think they were really making a point to uh, distance themselves from the uh, the 1991 with Tim Curry. Yeah. Because, like, this one has a couple of scenes that could be qualified as goofy. One I'm thinking of in particular. <laughs> I think there's all – there's one <laughs> where we're all thinking of in particular. Yeah. yeah. If you've seen the slob on my knob dancing video. Oh my God. <laughs> I, but, you know, that being said, I find that scene so incredibly funny that I cannot even be mad at it being in the movie. Yeah, but yeah, overall, I think uh, I think you're right. It's a it's a pretty genuinely effective, if by you know a very by the numbers horror movie. But you know, it, there's nothing wrong with that, and yeah. it does it it does it well. I'm kind of worried that the second part won't be as good. I it's been a long time since I've seen the '90s version, so I can't remember the second part super well that's when it gets really bad that's when it gets really bad in the 90s movie but i don't know i if it's the same group of people working on that one as who did this one i have no reason to expect it to be is the second half of the book drop off quality in in the book in the book it's not divided in half it's not like the first half is about the kids the second half is about the adults it's uh, simultaneously both of them it interweaves them like one chapter will be about them as kids It you definitely do get more concentrated uh, adult stuff towards the end but for the most part even then you, it still goes back in time to when they were kids and I think it's kind of hard to do that super effectively in a movie especially like that so i totally respect their decision to just be like okay we're doing one when they're young one when they're adults two separate movies yeah i can respect that well there's so much content in that book it's exactly 1100 pages yes yes so if if you're gonna do that i think the only effective way to do that method would be to make it like a mini series eugene is there uh anything you saw over break the uh, only movie The only movie I saw was Enemy, which I wouldn't call a horror movie. More a thriller. Certainly uh, a very 
unsettling uh, viewing experience, a lot of uh, creepy things, uh, even parts you could call scary, but it it certainly, uh, I don't think, falls into the same. I don't think so either, and I don't think we should talk too much about it because I think part of what makes that movie so good is going into it knowing nothing and just oh, letting yeah, it and sort that's of how I got unfold. to I got to go into it really not knowing much else than it's my, uh, a basic synopsis. So. It's my favorite Denis Villeneuve film, which yeah. is saying a lot because I've loved everything of his that I've seen. I still so. haven't seen Enemy. I need to get around to it. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, over break, I saw a couple of older horror films. Uh, I don't know why I watched either of these. Um, but I saw 30 Days of Night from 2007 and The Midnight Meat Train from 2008. And they were both pretty fucking all right. (laughs) The Midnight Meat Train has a very bizarre, uh, stupid twist at the end, but... Was it the chain all along? No, it was, it was actually... Oh, don't, don't spoil it. But I want to. It's it's 10 years old. Um. Okay. I won't. I won't spoil that. But it it takes a left turn. Oh, it a very it. very dramatic left turn. Um. But I mean, you know, it's kind of stupid. But if you like watching uh Vinnie Jones hit people with a hammer while Bradley Cooper takes pictures, you know, you can probably get some enjoyment out of it. It has some very bad CG in it, which is weird. Because there's also some really spectacular practical effects in it, like some really, really very good gory scenes. And then it'll do something where like Vinnie Jones hits somebody in the head with a hammer and their eyeball flies out. But the eyeball is CG and the camera like follows the eyeball. Oh, was it supposed to be in like 3D? I don't think so. I don't think this was ever. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, because this was like it's based on a Clive Barker short story, and it had like a super small like indie release, and it's all right. It, yeah, I I can't say much more about it than it just being okay. Uh, some good gory scenes, but very long stretches of boring investigation in between. And Thirty Days of Night, I. Uh, you know, felt similarly about based on a graphic novel or something. Um, looked really, really pretty. Interesting concept about uh, vampires attacking a town far north in Alaska where in the winter they have a solid month of total darkness, no sunrise. But, you know, same kind of complaints kind of falls into sort of generic horror fare at a certain point. There's some some good gore, some good makeup effects. Cinematography is actually really, really fucking gorgeous. They shot it on film and it looks great. And I didn't realize that they did day for night almost the entire movie. I would not have been able to tell, honestly. Um, some of the most seamless day for night I may have ever seen. Hmm. So That's interesting. I've always heard it's super uh, brutal. It is. Um, yes, it's very brutal. Um, the The main character is the same guy who played the lead in Lucky Number Slevin. Um, oh, Josh Hartnett. Yeah, something right? like yeah. that. And uh, he's okay. Uh, the ending is pretty fucking stupid. Um, and the way that like they finally beat the vampires is very dumb but you know i'd say it's worth checking out it's a it's a good as you would say ben midnight movie have a couple of drinks uh enjoy the the 
blood splattering in the snow and uh, some vampires shrieking and jumping from rooftops and stuff. You know, it's it's fun. It's fine. I I would recommend that over the midnight meat train. An interesting thing, the director of 30 Days of Night, David Slade, directed the Black Mirror episode Metalhead. Oh, really? Wow. Huh. Yeah. Apparently he directs a whole bunch of like TV episodes. He's done it for Hannibal, Breaking Bad. So. That's really interesting. He directed Hard Candy. Metalhead oh. is kind of brutal as well. He directed Hard Candy? Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Which I saw that like a couple months ago. That's an uh. okay movie. Certainly the message is lost now, I think, in this new age of uh, exposure to sexual abuse and just pedophilia yeah. and all that. So, yeah, the, that sort of revenge type of story just it doesn't, yeah, doesn't it, work very it, well it in this day and age. hasn't aged very no, well. No, no. I, no, would, I would overall recommend 30 Days of Night. It's not great, but it's probably worth a watch. It's on Netflix. I haven't seen that movie in years, but... It's I one of those movies that you could okay. kind of, like, comfortably zone out during and come back into it and you haven't really missed anything, you know? It's just like a... It's it's a fun, gory movie without much of a story. Um, yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, so, yeah, let's just jump right into the reviews for uh, the episode... Our episode is 2017 recap number two, I guess. Um, films films we missed in 2017. Yeah, that- so we're talking about Amityville, The Awakening, the new Amityville movie, um, The Snowman, and Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's um, all wonderfully curated by yours truly. Yes, I think Eugene I really picked these movies. I for think us. I chose a stellar lineup this time because. This was all a, it was a surprising viewing experience throughout all these movies, I gotta say. But let's jump into the first one, because there's a lot to unpack with it, which is Amityville The Awakening. And this is the, I don't know, 15th? 20th Amityville Horror 500th, whatever. It's like six or seven, I think. There's so many. Well, if you go on, like, check out all their sequels, there are a whole bunch, like, uh, released a DVD, like, none that got to theaters, and so there are, like, a shit ton more than you would expect, which is, it's, it's wild that the Amityville Horror seems to keep living on. I don't feel it has the same legacy as, like, Halloween or Friday the 13th, or any of those. Which, which so. honestly, I think it the original Amityville Horror is super underrated. Is but, it? Do you feel like it holds up in that same level with... Absolutely. Like, I would I would definitely put it up there with, like, Black Christmas, Halloween, like... Because I've never seen the original. I've only seen the 2006 remake with Ryan with Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Is, I mean, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, have, I can't be a, a very good judge of the series either, because I haven't seen the original. I've only seen uh, Amityville 3D. Which came out in, like, 1979 or something. Oh, man. And it's so boring, and they don't even do anything cool with the 3D. I've I've only seen the original and the remake, and the original is fucking awesome. I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, James Brolin and Margot Kidder are the leads, and they're both fantastic, and there's some genuinely, like, creepy, disturbing moments excellent pacing i would definitely recommend that one i would say it it absolutely holds up and stands up there with some of the greats so i think it's it's pretty underrated but let's talk about the awakening 
Yeah. This film um, came in super under the fucking radar. I think I heard one thing about it in 2017, and that thing was that it was a thing. I heard that once and then never again until you suggested that we watch it. If anyone has read the articles that uh, this movie – apparently it was originally released on Google Play for about a week for free so people could go – and watch the movie on their phones. On their phones. And then they decided to release it in only 10 theaters, and it made about $764 during its runtime. I think we talked about this during we, one of the we had mentioned segments. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, because point. it was uh, the last Weinstein movie yes. that came oh, out. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah, because wasn't it supposed to be released like three years ago or right, something? Apparently just yeah, they delayed. shot it in 2014, so... And it feels like a 2014 movie, kind it of. It does. Um, Pitiful, honestly. Why not just release it for free on streaming? Enough people do that. Don't and why make- on why on Google Play? Yeah, why? Because I mean, maybe I'm a purist, but I think watching a movie on your phone is the worst way to watch a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Except maybe projected on, like, your friend's butthole or something. <laughs> like, maybe that's the only worse way to watch a movie. Man, as, like, a middle schooler, I used to watch a shit ton of movies on my phone, though. Well, hey, that's because like, we were smaller, so it's, like, you know. Yeah, so just, it's, it's, like, equivalent. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. It's equivalency. I just, like... I mean, it's fine, and I understand, like, people do that shit on the go, and, like, when they're traveling, and I get that, but it's, like, I've just never been able to get into the idea of, like, having to just hold my phone up in front of my face to, like, enjoy a movie. Like, for YouTube videos, it's one thing, but if I'm gonna watch an entire movie, I don't want to do it on my phone. So I feel like releasing this on Google Play it's probably just as dumb as releasing it in only 10 theaters and making only $700. Yeah. What's kind of weird to me about this is, you know, we'll get into how the movie is bad, but I feel like it's not bad enough that they needed to shelf it for three years. Yeah, I don't think so either. I like, think if they would have released it in 2014, it would have done all right. I know in the last episode or two episodes ago when Eugene picked this, I made a big stink about how much I didn't want to watch this movie. And it's not good, but the one bit of praise I can give it is that it's not as bad as I was expecting. Yeah. I was ex- I was expecting, like, honestly, I was expecting something close to, like, Friend Request or, like, Fear.com. Yeah. Like, I was expecting that bad. And it doesn't reach those abysmal lows. It's still very stupid and not a good movie in any means. But we did we did have fun watching it. It was entertaining. It was entertaining enough because, same as we talked about with the Frighteners, like, it was really easy to roast the fuck out of this movie. And we did. And I, I'll give the same argument. Like, I think if I had sat alone and watched this movie, it would have been much more insufferable. There were some sequences in this movie where it still would have made me laugh i I think think so i think so too there were definitely a couple of genuinely funny sequences that were not supposed to be funny no yeah so uh, well yeah we should start getting into a little more of the story yeah so the general idea is uh this family uh moves into the amity house there's uh, a mother 
and a younger daughter and a set of twins, a fraternal twins, one uh, son and one daughter. The son is uh, kind of in a vegetative comatose state, uh, and so he's on life support in a room. So they move into the Amity house to keep him on life support, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I, I think they're... I don't know if they ever say it for sure, but I think they're coming from, like, a city or something, and they wanted to move to, like, a more quiet, secluded place where they can just, like, live together and take care of the the comatose son. Right, and the mother is played by Jennifer Jason Lee, Which is absolutely wild to me. Yes, who probably gives the worst performance of her career in this, and it's not and that probably she's... The, probably the worst performance in the movie, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, she is. Yeah, I think she's, she's fantastic. I think she's really, really good, and you can just tell how little she gave a shit about yeah. this movie. Like, phoned in is not even doing it justice like how bad she is it was absolutely a paycheck movie for her 100 but yeah uh bella thorne plays who i uh, guess is some like disney star or something or was yeah i I don't know her name sounds familiar she's she's in that new mcg movie the babysitter uh, she was in a she was in a Logan Paul music video or a Jake Paul music <laughs> yeah. video or something. Oh, nice. uh, nice. Honestly, I when I saw her name in the credits, I thought she was a porn star. <laughs> um, because oh, Bella Thorne man. Bella Thorne sounds like a porn star name. Am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, no. And well, any name can be a porn star. Name. I mean, yeah, just... but you know what I mean, though. There, no, are, certain, I, I there are certain names that just yeah. sound very much like a porn star yeah. name. And so I thought Bella Thorne was a porn star, and then I realized she was not. She was just in a Logan Paul movie. I mean, certainly video. it'd be harder to believe her as yeah. an actor, considering the... I, it's, I guess I, I shouldn't even be too mean about that. She's I thought, you know, did a decent I thought she did, I thought she did a decent job, too. Right, well. Like, just in the same way that Jennifer Jason Lee did the worst performance in the movie, I would argue that Bella Thorne probably gives the best performance in the movie. Yeah. It's not great. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's still great. a bad performance, It's not though, great. Well, and for what is, she was working with, I think it was decent. Yeah, the thing is, too, like, when she first started in the movie... We, I feel like we all kind of groaned, and at the, we were yeah, like, the "Oh man, when... she's just gonna play this insufferable emo who hates her mom, who's yeah. upset about having to move away. Yeah, yeah. I had to move away from my friends." But and... as the movie went on, you know, I feel like she she kind of grew as a character a, a little bit. She's still, uh, for the most part, uh, a generic like punk goth. Uh, fuck the establishment kind of teenager and we get that really nice exposition dump at the beginning where they're sitting at the dinner table and bella thorne is trying to convince her mom that her brother is like totally brain dead and she's like i know him better than you do we're twins yeah it's like yeah okay using her <laughs> psychic connection and yeah i i can to... feel him he's gone but so basically the idea is that the house possesses the the comatose teenage son right throughout the the movie he begins to start waking up first he just opens his eyes and then he starts to move his eyes they give him like one of those uh 
uh, eye movement to text uh, machines so he can communicate with the family. Right, and, and they think he's getting better, but in reality, he's just getting more and more possessed. Right. Or, or yeah, if you haven't seen any Amity movies before, um, the gist is there's like a red room in the basement of the house. Under the stairs. And it's like a an entry for like Satan. It's basically, it's basically a portal demons. to hell. Yeah. And what it does is anybody who lives in the house, one of those people ends up going crazy and killing the rest of the family. That's the same in, like, every Amityville movie. It's never like a ghost comes out and attacks people. It's like somebody gets possessed, they start hallucinating, and then they kill their whole family. Well, the interesting thing about that in this movie is Bella Thorne's character goes to school, and uh, immediately this guy behind her... Like, starts, like, telling her about the Amity house. Right, because, uh, as, well, this is even outside of just it being the house where murders occurred 40 years ago. We find out that the original Amityville movie and its subsequent sequel, All of the Amityville movies. They all exist in this new movie's universe as actual films. They are canon. Not only did the murders occur, the movies based on the murders also happened. Right. We get one scene, uh, well, because Bella Thorne's character doesn't know any of the stuff about the Amity House until uh, Mr. Exposition comes along and throughout the rest of the movie tells her everything she needs to know about the Amityville horror. Yeah. Um, well, at some once... point, he just, he picks up a fucking DVD <laughs> yeah, and he then shows over, it. He's yeah. like, you ever hear of this movie? Yeah, yeah like he just carries it around with him because she's in the computer lab or something he's like have you ever seen this movie and just holds up the amityville horror it's like you just carry that around with you bro and then at one point he and this other girl come over to the house because they want to watch the amityville horror in the amityville house and we get this great scene uh, great in air quotes where he's like okay which movie do we want to watch? Original holds that one up or remake holds that one up. <laughs> At first I, we had thought, well, maybe just the original Amityville horror is in this universe. Nope. That means Ryan Reynolds ex- canonically exists in the Amityville awakening <laughs> universe. And and then the other girl is like, original, remakes always blow. God, yeah, the balls of this movie <laughs> to try and shit. make a point on remakes being bad when this is a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that was the thing. thing for me, too. Like, yes, I agree, most of the time remakes are bad. Not always, most of the time. But how dare this movie try to make that point? <laughs> I, I feel like this I, – I haven't seen the remake in forever, but this might be good. just as bad yeah. as the the 2006 movie. Probably the worse, dude. company uh, produced the Scream movies. So I wonder if like oh, yeah, that, they were definitely that trying meta to... influence just oh without a doubt. You know, so yeah, like there's there beca- on them. Like the meta in this movie was really really weird for me. Like, he, like it was it was the jarring book at one point too. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like and because would... they don't even do anything clever with it. Where you know in the scream films that they would try and play uh, against those tropes since the characters knew about them they would try and fight back against it no with that knowledge i feel like they kind of play with it but they they really botch the uh, the approach to it and i'm talking about 
uh, spoilers, uh, the uh, twist yeah. um, we get. Because, you know, like, the trope of all Amityville movies is, like, the people that move into the house don't know about this demonic shit. Right. Uh, and then this one they do know. Well, and Jennifer Jason it, Lee does. Yeah, it's revealed that Jennifer... Uh, because the whole time in the movie, you know, as the brothers waking up and gaining sentience, Bella Thorne's character is freaking out and, like, emphasizing that they gotta get the fuck out of the house. And she finally, like, gets Jennifer Jason Lee aside and is like, we have to move away uh, because the house is possessing our, uh, my brother. And she's like, yeah, I know. I lost faith in God. And I, yeah. I, I I believe that Satan can get our uh, my son back. Which means, which means that if we're supposed to believe that essentially this film takes place in our own universe, what would Jennifer Jason Lee be basing that off of aside from, from the, the movies, the, movies. <laughs> the culture yeah. of the movies that that shit has created? Like, sure, the Amityville house has like it's like based on a true story. Like, there's there's people who think it is legitimately haunted, but basically Jennifer Jason Lee is only going off the context of the movies and like, well, let's buy that house and maybe the devil will bring my son back to life. I mean, in fairness, why else would you buy an infamous, infamously evil house? Because like, you don't believe in that? I, I feel like <laughs> and you can no one would buy a haunted house just because they don't believe in well, it. Well, what I kept waiting... You have to waiting, be hella skeptic. What though. I kept waiting for was that if the movies exist in this universe, then that means that in all reality, there's probably, like, tourists and, like, passersby coming by to, like, gawk at the, the haunted Amityville house. Right. I doubt they actually sell that house out. Probably I imagine not. it's probably just a... There as yeah as a tourist site. yeah I don't I don't know but I even if they even if real people do live in it I kept just kept waiting for in this movie like people showing up on like their front lawn and like taking pictures and like pointing and then having to go outside and be like shoot get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> like that would have been that would have been the fucking funniest should we talk about why the brother is in a coma because that was one of the stupidest oh, yeah. fucking things oh, in yeah. this movie yes, to that's me true. That's so. Well, at one point when the brother wakes up and they give him the the uh, eye movement to text thing, uh, he the first thing he says to Bella Thorne after I miss you is I forgive you. And then she runs out of the room crying or whatever. So she has her friend over and in a scene designed solely to dump more exposition on us, uh, she's like, I have to tell somebody. And so basically... She tells her friend that when she was younger, she sent some nudes to a guy and he posted them all over the Internet and everybody saw them. And so her twin brother went over to the guy's house to beat him up and then the dude threw him off the balcony. And that's why he's in a coma. And somehow we're supposed to believe that that's Bella Thorne's fault. Right. Yeah. The fact that the brother says, forgive you. That's and funny. That's funny considering this is a fucking Weinstein movie because that's very much like victim blaming. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. absolutely. 
Well, it's funny because Jennifer Jason Lee's character blames her as well. Everybody blames her. Yeah. And I don't understand how Bella Thorne sending nudes to a guy got her brother thrown off a fucking balcony because his dumbass decided to go over there and beat the dude up. Because Raisin Boy can't fight, my man. Oh, my God. <laughs> This oh my god it was so fucking frustrating when I, we found out that that was the reason I'm just like how is that her fault at all yeah that was just dumb trying to create I mean I wouldn't even call it conflict just to create some sort of more emotional complexity with Bella Thorne's character which just it feels she's so... supposed to be racked with guilt or something right but uh, what yeah just. Uh... <laughs> Is dumb. See, this this movie is really just plagued by a lack of – like, there's no reason for this movie to have been made. It's not right. really doing anything clever or interesting. Even with all of the meta things they try and do, none of it really pays off. The most interesting thing is when we learn Jennifer Jason Lee's character knew about the Amityville house and bought it specifically – to try and get Satan to possess the brother, that's kind of cool. But I then they, but then they twist. totally, but then they totally go back on right, exactly. Like end. five, ten minutes after, I, and we will get to that. But I want to talk about some of the lead up to that too, because I think that's some of the funniest shit in the movie. Like for the most part, the scares, and I use that very loosely, scares in this movie, which is mostly just jump scare, loud noise, revolves around uh, the brother, like moving around the house in the background and stuff when he's supposed to be comatose in bed and because he's been in a coma he's all atrophied and shriveled up like a raisin so he looks like a skeleton man spooky right so then when he finally ends up getting fully possessed he gets out of bed um like skeleton walks down to the basement very very slowly goes into the the evil red room which for some reason uh bella thorne like took a pickaxe to the stairs so she could open up the red room i guess to see if it was really there right yeah well because that's the last scene they show on the tv when they're watching the original amityville horrors right is josh brolin or uh, james brolin breaking down the wall to expose the room and another thing which i i haven't seen the original movie but i do know that a point is made to save the dog at the end of the film yes and in they, this go, one, they go back they, in the house for the dog right but in this one they kill the dog off yep just uh Again, to try and pull the rug under you. The dog uh, doesn't survive this, you fool. If you well, yeah, it's a from- horror movie. Animals never survive. <laughs> but so he uh, he skeleton walks down to the red room in the basement, uh, touches the wall, and then regains all of his muscle mass. He There's a nice little scene of him, like, getting swole again. Um, and then he's also, like, way more in shape than any, like, normal 17-year-old would ever be. And then he gets a shotgun, just like in the original, and goes around and starts trying to kill his family. The only one he successfully kills is Jennifer Jason Lee, and that's where he uh, she goes back on the whole Satan thing. Right, as we see her clutching her cross, yes, ward him off. That will. That's also like another instance of her really terrible performance because 
he comes in and she's like, don't you recognize me? And he like points the shotgun at her and off screen. We just hear her go, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And right before she gets shot, she puts the cross up and she's she's like, like, damn "Damn you to hell (laughs) and holds up the cross in front of his face. Uh, So it's like, Oh yeah. So they, they can't even follow through with their own twist. No. Should we get into the ending? One thing I want to talk about before the ending is okay. uh, what was the doctor's name? Who played the doctor? Oh, again? Kurtwood Smith, yeah. uh, Kurt Red, Smith, Red Foreman from that '70s show. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's what I knew him from. Yeah, he looked familiar, but well, I he's also isn't put my he, he's the bad guy it. in RoboCop, isn't he? The one who yeah, he is. Yeah, yes, yeah, he is. yes. Um, he shows up uh, to give exposition about like locked in syndrome and how the 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 kids, you know. In he might be conscious yeah. inside the coma toast body. Yeah, but he's like in the room with the the kid alone. He sees and, a maggot on the bed. Yeah, and so he turns the kid over, and just a swarm of like bees. It's like, it's out, flies. Out of his ass or something. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like his back is rotting. It's flies because that's another nod to. Uh, the original Amityville horror is that like ev- like they can't keep food in the house like it rots really fast they c- there's always flies and there's some legitimately creepy scenes with like involving the flies in the original but in this one they're just like hey remember remember flies remember, remember flies? flies but yeah then a massive swarm of flies like flies into Kurtwood Smith's mouth yeah. and then, it's a hallucination yeah. and then he, he doesn't show up for the rest of the movie except well, through video chats right well because yeah. he's like he's like I have to leave I'm sorry yeah, he's like, I'm not getting close to that house <laughs> and, on, and honestly he's probably the smartest character yeah. in the movie because of that um, I'm glad you brought that up. Another thing I want to bring up before the end that we should have talked about at the very beginning is that when the opening credits are rolling, one of the last ones we see is music by Rob. Rob. Just, <laughs> just Rob. No last name. Nothing. It's just like this guy did not want to have his full name put on this fucking trash movie. And let me tell you, Rob, you made a good choice. Because you also made bad music. He did a bad so. job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that the music itself was particularly bad, but the placement of it made no sense. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Like, there were a lot of scenes where, like, nothing particularly tense was happening, but, well, like, the music was extremely tense. Well, and the a super obnoxious thing where when a character says usually the little kid when he says something that's supposed to be spooky they do a like quick like cut in closer and it's like a doom like it's like yeah. oh shit this and there's is intense, and there's a lot of so, shit like that like so obnoxious like uh the little girl says she's like talking to the brother and it's supposed to be like oh how sweet she's talking to her comatose brother but then she's like why is he using bad words at me or, or something <laughs> yeah, like that? Yeah, 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 so I was no. just thinking that the fucking raisin boy is in there just like cussing at his his like, like kid yeah, sister. Fuck you, little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then at one point, the little girl like turns to Bella Thorne. She's like, why doesn't mommy love you oh, anymore? Yeah, that was wild. What a shit brat. I would have fucking smacked the mouth off that kid. Yeah, what you <laughs> like, what? <laughs> uh, okay, well... Let's get into the ending then. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the ending is pretty fucking hilarious. Also, yeah. you ever yeah. you ever watch a movie and it doesn't really stick the landing? Well, this one sort of like it broke its legs in the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. it, <laughs> it shrivels up much like the ending of this film. And well, 
So once the brother murders Jennifer Jason Lee, he is searching through the house and he finds the little sister and he puts her to bed and then he tells her to turn over and sleep. <laughs> yeah, and he's going to shoot her. Yeah, and then Bella Thorne runs in the room and she said something dumb. He's just like, she's like, hey, or something. And then she fucking runs at him and tackles she him. She tackles out him out the like window. the third story window. Which they, because there's a little uh, patio thing out in there. So they had to dive like... 10, 15 feet off of that balcony. That, she it must reminded, have a great running scene. It reminded <laughs> me very much of, like, Halloween. When, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when uh, she tackles Michael Myers uh, off the balcony oh or whatever. Oh, my God, right. Um, that's all I could think about. But apparently, like, the Native Americans put, like, a binding circle around the house or something um, yes. to keep the evil contained. It's just, like, this circle in the dirt that goes all the way around the house. And apparently, like, the evil presence cannot leave the circle. So when she tackles him out the window, he ends up crippled again. And he starts trying to, like convince her to not drag him outside of the circle and that's a very funny scene because she's just like dragging him across the arm by the yard yeah and he's just across the yard by his arm and he's like oh no doing nothing he's completely limp just screaming yeah it's really really funny and then she pulls him outside of the circle and he just shrivels up like a raisin again which is fucking hilarious yeah, God. it's really funny it's really funny like the evil is banished or whatever and he and he just like shrivels back up into like a little atrophied and raisin all that, boy all that demon juice just he lost all of his gains yeah. immediately <laughs> he used to be a nice big satan grape but now he's just a dead raisin so he and jennifer jason lee are the only ones who end up dead Bella Thorne and the little girl survive, and then at the end we just get like a really bad looking newsreel that's not a newsreel at all. And for some oh. reason they make it sound like it's from the seventies, yeah. even though it's supposed to be modern day. Even now. though it's supposed to be, I guess, twenty fourteen. Yeah, like, it's yeah. supposed to sound. It sounds exactly like the news report they show in the beginning, and with, looks like it too, with like right. really grainy, like super eight yeah, footage. So, yeah, and How did it's they so weird. Do that that's such. And uh, they and they like outline what happened and. And they were like, uh, such and such claims that it was the work of her brother, blah, blah, blah. And her little sister corroborates that. Oh, and the police corroborated, too, with uh, handprints oh, on yeah, the gun. Oh, yeah, his fingerprints were on the gun. But didn't it say that the the doctor said it couldn't have been the brother? Well, yeah, Kurtwood Smith said it couldn't have been the brother because he was in a coma and also atrophied and had no muscle mass. And when they found his body out in the yard, naked out in the yard, they would have seen that that is absolutely true right if these cops were any good at their job the story is bella thorne Thorne goes to jail i don't understand why the doctor would be so against the idea of it though because like he He obviously knows shit is fucked up like enough to stay away from he doesn't want to he doesn't want to stake his reputation on haunted house mumbo jumbo probably (laughs) so yeah it's just like oh bella thorne is free and i guess that's a happy ending but also super unrealistic because um she definitely would have gone to jail for for sure one crazy thing is that when the brother starts to wake up and Bella Thorne is having all these weird visions of the brother walking around the house. She's talking with her friends, and they say that 
your brother is possessed and you'll have to have to kill him. If you want to take this from a rational point of view, that there isn't any supernatural element, it is the story of Bella Thorne's comatose brother coming back to life and then her plotting to murder him yes. with her friends, which is a terribly dark idea. But, of course, you know, there are actually ghosts and stuff, so we don't have to worry about that sort of moral dilemma. And, well, this movie just manages to be truly ineffective in almost every way possible. Extremely. Largely unoffensive. Like, there was nothing that oh, yeah. really made me upset about it, like, watching it like I was in Friend Request and Fear.com, but it's just not good. It's Honestly, just not a good if, movie. Yeah. I'm th- if, if they had tried to do more meta stuff, I might have hated the movie more. It probably would have just felt so. more so. like Scream. And well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's no actual investigation into what's going on. It's just like she, her friend, who's obsessed with the Amityville horror movies, just tells her whatever she needs to know whenever. Once again, based on the context of supposedly fictional movies. <laughs> yeah. I I thought they were gonna go into it a little bit more when like all the power went out at 315 at 315 yeah and they all went to the basement and they started investigating but it got shut down immediately by the mother like showing up with a shotgun one of them um yeah weird weird choice but overall yeah it was pretty unoffensive um yeah let's rate it yeah well for me, I think it's just a thoroughly forgettable experience. I would have to just recommend seeing the original because that seems to be the only good one out of all these movies. As far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, no one has spoken highly of any other film in this franchise. So for yeah. me, I'm going to have to give it a one and a half pods. I, I pretty much agree. Uh, not offensive, but just really dumb by the numbers um uninspired whatever just lame boring stupid horror movie um i'll give it two pods for the uh the few genuinely funny moments <laughs> that were definitely not supposed to be funny and for music by rob <laughs> yes yeah thank you rob yeah it was inoffensive it wasn't good by any means but it wasn't offensively bad um, just kind of forgettable. It was entertaining enough that it worked at parts for me just because it was funny to watch with other people. Um, so I can recommend it a little bit on that, but don't. it's not worth watching. Uh, it makes sense that it was pushed back. or I guess it doesn't really make sense that it was pushed back three years, but it makes sense that it didn't do super well at the box office. Like, no one's going to seek out this movie especially if they don't try to advertise it. No. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably give it a two as well. Um, if you want to watch a spooky house movie that's a little spookier, watch, like, Monster House, I guess. <laughs> 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 or just go back and watch the original Amityville. It's very good. I like that recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll Check watch, it out, Monster House. Let's watch Monster House. <laughs> All right, so that gives us an average rating of 1.8 pods for Amityville The Awakening. Very nice. So I think that's a pretty resounding uh, not worth your time yes. from us. I do like that, that thing we said, offensively bad, because I... W- 
I know that we have sat through movies where we feel truly like scorned by the experience. <laughs> Fear.com. Yeah, Fear.com yeah. will never be able to just redeem itself for the time that it took from me. <laughs> the two hours I wasted watching that awful, oh, awful thing. This movie, yeah, does not do that, but it's crazy to think there is a movie that can be so infuriating. Maybe this next movie we're going to talk about could fall under that. This movie is The Snowman, directed by Thomas Alfredson, who people might know as the director of Let the Right One In. A very competent director. Just a lot of talent and, uh, in Tinker this Taylor movie. Taylor Soldier Spy. Yes, and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. It seems everyone involved in this is just, it's a ridiculous... Uh, There's so rate. much talent in this yeah, movie. Yeah, not even just yeah. the actors. Martin Scorsese's main editor did the work in this film. And Scorsese himself is an executive producer. Uh, he was one slated to direct this project back in like 2013 because this movie seems to have been made to try and ride off of the coattail of things like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Um, yeah, you know, Scandinavian crime yeah. thrillers. And it's ba- it is based on a novel, I believe, yes, just right. like uh, the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is. Talk about a stacked cast, too. Yeah. You have Fassbender, uh, you have Charlotte Gainsbourg, you have J.K. Simmons, Val Kilmer, Toby Jones. Yeah, uh, like there's so much, like, good potential in this movie and thomas alfredson like i haven't seen a ton of his stuff i have seen tinker taylor soldier spy and i love let the right one in which i think is one of the greatest modern vampire movies that exists i've only seen the remake so which is okay but as i understand it's almost shot for shot basically the the original is much better there's there's no reason this movie should have turned out like it did, which is uh, shockingly mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because apparently there were a lot of delays in shooting. They they got Thomas Alfredson. He was rushed in the production. Apparently they didn't even shoot the entire script, which is just... Uh, I, that blows my mind. When has that happened in a movie? Also, uh, I did not know that, but thinking back on the movie, that kind of makes a lot yeah, of sense. Oh, yeah, yes. that makes no, a ton it of totally sense. does. Because there are just so many issues with the pacing, with the tone that's set in this film. It's We're going to have to get into all this and unpack it. The first thing we have to unpack, though, which is... I think the one thing people probably know of this movie is the main character's name. <laughs> Harry Hole. Harry Hole. Harry, Harry Hole. You couldn't have named him Michael Ice or something? Good yeah. Fucking, just, name, just name him Anthony Kevin, Snowman. Kevin Snow, yeah. Like, <laughs> w- seriously? Like, I know that's his name in the book, and I know it's Norwegian, so I don't think it's quite as, like offensively bad for Norway. And this film is set in Norway. Right, it's yeah, like, apparently this was all part of Norway's big film incentive to try and get people to start shooting stuff there. It very it very much follows the same kind of tone as David Fincher's remake of The Girl with Dragon right. Tattoo, where it is set in that country, uh, just all the actors have British ac- accents. Yeah. Yes, which um, apparently uh, the crew went to great lengths to take out any Norwegian in the film, which... I guess just to 
<laughs> make American audiences not go, oh, what's that weird word over there? Why is it got the dashes? Apparently, this the novel that this is based off of is the seventh book in the series. What? That's really funny because I was saying something about how, you know, like, if this was part of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo saga, it would be like number seven or eight. And this, and yeah. The once they they run thin of every good like main antagonist, that you end up with the snowman. And and the book is the seventh one, and it's from it's the seventh book in the Harry Hole series. That's just what the series is called. Which, oh no! Which <laughs> what? I guess, oh, God, this just. Well, the first scene already right off the bat feels weird because things are moving a little too fast. It's a mother and a child uh, in this house, this cabin, seems to be surrounded by snow, a little secluded. And a man comes over who is supposed to be Uncle Dead. Such and such. Yeah, Uncle such and Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he is giving the kid a a quiz, basically, about Norwegian history, something along those lines. Um, and the kid, when he gets an answer wrong, the uncle smacks the mother in the face. And we don't we're not prepared for that because we have no idea. And then they go he, upstairs and have sex or oh, something. Yes, yes. Right. Then he he proceeds to have sex with the mother. And then we're told that, I guess, the kid is the illegitimate child of this man. We hear that in the weirdest way, though. Right, it's after they have... And the mother says, like, I'm gonna tell your wife he's your son and the, the, something else. Yeah, like, and the kid's, like, watching through the window. <laughs> yeah, right. And he, he, he runs out of the house. He's like, I'm never coming back. There's a chase. But this leads to the mother uh, driving off the side of the road... And uh, the kid gets out and tries to get the mother out of the car, but she's sort of just uh, just remained motionless. She's uh, in a way just accepted her death and then falls in the water. And then we cut immediately to Michael Fassbender's character Harry Hole waking up drunk, in sleeping some on like park. a park bench, sleeping or on something. a park bench. Yeah, it just feels so disjointed. I mean, as audience members. Uh, well, we see the kid at the beginning of the film. I, I forgot exactly when it happens, but he builds a snowman. And so at that point, it seems pretty clear this is the, the story of the the snowman uh, himself or of Michael Fassbender. Well, right. It, that's the thing. It's like the way it cuts from the kid watching his mother die to Michael Fassbender drunkenly waking up on a park bench it that seems to insinuate that he was the child and watched his mother die and maybe that's why he's like a weird fucked up alcoholic man right. or whatever but no that's actually the killer it's like it's very disjointed it's very confusing honestly i don't think i could really talk this plot through there's just so much shit that just like doesn't make a lot of sense and is also very boring and none of the characters have any sort of clear motivations. Michael Fassbender does not. The killer, by the end, does not. Oh, God, the no. only one who has uh, motivation is, like, his partner, whose father was 
hunting oh god the yes or who something the I father don't even was remember. played by val kilmer which another talking point of this film he's only in about maybe five minutes of this entire movie but every scene he is in he has this awful out of place adr all of his is, yeah all of his lines dubbed are dubbed so over. bad and when we first saw him on screen we didn't even know that was val kilmer he looks so so I thought it was bad. I thought it was Kurt Russell. For yeah, minute, to put it in context, think of uh, John Travolta in The People versus OJ. <laughs> yeah, and you get like of. a rough idea of what he's looking yeah, like. Just apparently he was going through a healing of cancer. Yeah, so his, his tongue was swollen or something, right. so he couldn't talk. And it just—it's amazing to me. I mean, he looks so trashy in the movie. It might have worked better for them if they made him sound the way he actually was because the ADR, ooh, it's oh, bad. It's so bad. It's really bad. Yeah. Whoever they got to do it was just awful because there, there's there's a scene it's where it's blatant like i yeah. pointed it out after his first line i was like is that adr oh god it was so so gross but we we learned that the snowman had, you know committed a murder nine years earlier to harry hole getting on the investigation and val kilmer was originally the one trying to track him down and just Oh, it's really awful. Any scene where he's trying, there's a scene where he's talking on the phone and he's supposed to be angry, and it sounds so. There's there's no force to it, no oomph because right, well, they like just got his, some. His face looks like he's angry and might be yelling, but then the then the the ADR is just like very like calm and yeah, it's and very man, and it doesn't sync up very well with his lips, and uh, yeah, it's it it just baffling to me like the whole kurt russell subplot confused the val hell out of me <laughs> yeah val kilmer kurt russell looking well uh, obviously that was really only put in there so they could give one character at least one character proper motivation because no one else has it yeah we're supposed to believe michael fassbender's like this this genius detective, like he's 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 a great uh, you know part of the force, but throughout the movie he's just so apathetic. He's so willing to just write off the case at every yeah. single moment. He just yeah. all he does the whole movie is walk around looking lethargic and chain smoking. Oh yes, yeah, smoking yeah. cigarettes every single scene. Uh, yeah, and and he doesn't even like finish a lot of them, like. Every scene starts with him lighting up a cigarette, and then it'll end the scene by him putting it out after he's only taken, like, two or three drags in the scene. I don't know if that's supposed to just be, like, punctuating the scene, like, oh, he puts a cigarette out. I don't it, know. It's weird. He's he's phoning it in super hard. I know he started filming for this two days after wrapping Assassin's Creed, so maybe Assassin's Creed just drained all of the life out of him, which I would absolutely <laughs> believe. Just um, such a shame. He's a great actor. He is. Yeah. He's very good. He's been in some very dumb movies. Yeah, right. But I mean, he, just the, the recent X Men movie, Assassin's Creed, and this. Just he's got to he's got to get back on track because yeah, not great, not great but, at all. So we've got this other weird subplot that I don't, I still don't understand why. Like Michael Fassbender's divorced from Charlotte Gainsbourg. They have a son together, but the son 
does not know that Michael Fassbender is his real father. He just thought growing up that Michael Fassbender was her boyfriend. Yeah. So, like, even though they're divorced, like, Michael Fassbender still takes him out and does stuff with him because he has a relationship because he was Charlotte Gainsbourg's boyfriend. But then the kid is talking about, like, my mom won't let me try to find my real dad. And it's like, why, why are they keeping... The, that a secret that Michael Fassbender is his father. Yeah, at what point would they need they were to get that They hidden? were together. Yeah. yeah. And as we understand, they've only been separated for like six months or something. Yeah, when something the movie like starts. that. And they're still on very friendly terms. Yeah. Yeah, super like, friendly. That She tries to have sex with him like halfway through the movie. Yeah. So they're obviously on very friendly terms. But yeah, she's got this this new boyfriend, or I don't know if they're married and he's a husband. I think if just the boyfriend. If they've only yeah. been apart for six months, then yeah, it would make sense that he's the boyfriend. He's, Ma- he's a plastic surgeon. A plastic surgeon named Matthias, and every time they said his name, I would like snap out of like my doze thinking somebody <laughs> was saying my name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, certainly this movie does not keep you very I did I did start to fall asleep yeah. a couple of times like for sure I, um, I did catch myself dozing off and I think it's that issue where it's not the editing it's the I think bad, it it's really, the bad script yeah it's, it's so it's lifeless right there's just there's no moment where you actually truly care or you feel invested in this mystery because they don't even give you many people to suspect Right. And they well, don't, they don't. They don't give you anybody for the most part. Like the killer targets, uh, like divorced women with like w- with like a child. Like well, that's, no, I'm that's pretty like sure the MO, thing is that right? they're. Oh yeah, I guess it's that they seem happily married, but that they are actually. But going that they're. But they're. They're issues. not, and they always have right. a child, and he always like leaves a little snowman at the crime scene, and he sends notes Which, to the snowman's like oof, bad. Yeah. yeah. Ba- the who, snowman. Apparently, these snowmen were helped. Uh, uh, were helped to be built. By children from the area, which I believe that when you are creating the calling card for your murderer of your crime thriller, you should not get children to create that. I think it's supposed like, to be that same kind of thing. Why, like little girls in white dresses are creepy in horror movies because it's like a perversion of innocence. I yeah. think that's what they're going for. Oh, but that but just, it's it's just dumb. Yeah. Well, and, he sends notes to the police that start with Mr. Police, Mr. and then he signs it with a little drawing of a snowman. So, like, this killer seems to be like an eight-year-old. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, is, this ch- is it a child who's killing these people? <laughs> that would be more interesting. That would be more interesting, except for the parts where we see him kill people with, like, this weird, like... I don't know what it is. It's like a like a, a wire gun thing that yeah, has like yeah, that tightens limbs. Yeah, Which that has actually like actually that like that's kind of a cool weapon. I thought it was kind yeah, of cool, I really like but that. I don't know what they would use it for. And I also don't know why when there's so many easier ways to kill people because the killer carries it around in like a briefcase with yeah. like all of these different attachments bag of tools it seems like it seems just so extra like it's kind of cool but it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense also there's no consistency with the killer you know he uses yes. that half the time he also shoots them with a shotgun in the face half the time yep. he you know, for some reason, he decided to put Chloe Sevigny's head on a snowman at oh one God. point. Oh, God. And then at one point, uh, he puts a snowman's head on the neck hole of a guy <laughs> no, who, who he shot the head off of. Yeah. So it's like, 
There's no motivation. Yeah, there's no motivation. There's no like central hook to his. He patterns. doesn't have a cons- yeah. He doesn't have a consistent mo. Yeah. Well, no, like, don't you remember? He also he uses coffee beans as the the mouth on the snowman, and uh, that's first, yeah. Because we see in the first scene when the uncle slaps the mom. He, uh, a bunch of coffee beans spill, which, I mean, like, why? Why I does he use coffee beans? I don't know. Because Michael why Fassbender, he makes a point of it. He's like, you see those coffee beans on the gra- around the guy who they think committed suicide, Val Kilmer's character. He's like, you see those coffee beans? Like, whoa. What? Why yeah. would yeah? Why would he? Maybe because he had seen other snowmen and saw that they had their eyes and mouth made out of coffee beans. He's like, eh, the snowman was here, right? Which is they, just it's, I'm I'm Harry Hole, the snowman with playing with coffee beans. They also claim this is that crazy to me. They also claim that uh, he only kills when snow's falling. Oh yeah, but oh he my definitely God, about that. does kill when snow is not falling. But also it, but also it's Norway. Snow is always falling. I mean, true. Like that's dumb. I guess he does have one central theme throughout the whole thing and snow. that's he really fucking loves the song Popcorn. <laughs> yes. Oh <my> <laughs> Because, like, when they go to talk to Chloe Sevigny, they, like, walk through her house, and she's, like, out in the barn killing a chicken or something, and fucking popcorn is on the the stereo, and then after she leaves, or after they leave, we see the killer who was hiding in the house, like, go out and kill her, and then, like... Michael Fassbender is having his apartment like sprayed for mold or something. He's like fumigated his structures rotting away or some and, shit. And he comes home and he finds the the maintenance guy who's in like one of those like all white like hazmat suits with like a mask just fucking dancing like an absolute <laughs> tool to popcorn right which at that point was one of we, the most baffling scenes right, in this movie and then we but then when he leaves the house later we see the the previous maintenance guy like outside the apartment, so it's supposed to be like, oh, that was the killer in Harry Hole's apartment, right? Doing which something dressed I mean, up like a snowman yeah. in white. <laughs> and immediately after that, you know that no matter who ends up being the snowman, it means that at one point they were in Michael Fassbender's house, booty shaking to popcorn, right? And there's no way you can make your villain intimidating at that point. Yeah, you ruined exactly. You ruined just that. just and further making me think that, that, that this. That the killer is just an eight-year-old boy in an adult's body. And also, I might have missed this because I was so bored at that point, but why was the killer in his apartment? Did he leave something there for Michael Fassbender to find? Oh, uh, he he leave the the medicine, the sleep pills, which Charlotte Gainsbourg found. But I thought he already had those. I don't think he actually had them. Because he got the prescription from her boyfriend at the hockey game. Yeah, that would be dumb, too, because he would leave the prescription that only that guy... Well, shit, I guess... Spoilers! Yeah, right, no, this might reveal who... So we find out, uh, because first they... Uh, make it seem like J.K. Simmons might be the murderer. Who's like some big politician in Norway. Right. Trying He's the to only get... person the only person trying to actually do an accent that isn't just British. He does a weird yeah, half just, British, half Scandinavian never, accent. Never heard him like that. It no, kind of worked. It kind of did. No, yeah, but, I thought I, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't weird to me. But yeah, he's like, he's some local politician who's trying to get the... 
World the Winter Cup. Olympics. Oh, Winter Olympics. Yeah. The Winter Olympics to Oslo. Like right. that's his campaign platform. Yeah, and he also likes taking pictures of topless <laughs> women. Yeah, yeah, and just and just phone. women in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they kind of set him up as a red herring, like he yeah. might be the killer. Oh my god! The second funniest scene oh, of this movie was uh, Michael Fassbender's like partner. Uh, Let me was, look, I forget this actress's uh, name. Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, Rebecca was, Ferguson. She was in Life uh, just recently. Was uh, talking to J.K. Simmons about how she appreciated his speech, right? And he's like, thank you very much. Uh, and he walks away. Uh, out of nowhere, his, his like, bouncer. Yeah, his bouncer aide comes over and is like, Gives her a room key. Yeah, J.K. Simmons really liked uh, what you had to say. Uh, he'll be up in room 1747, uh, and he wants to meet with you. And right behind him, you just see J.K. Simmons, like, peeking out peeking over out the corner. Peeking out from behind a wall, just, like, smiling yeah. at her. <laughs> it reminded me of, like, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs' character in The Frighteners. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Come into room yeah. Around corners of people, that shit was fucking wild and so funny. Um, but yeah, should we get back into that spoiler that we talked yes. about? Yes. So after we uh, find out J.K. Simmons is not the murderer because he's in another place while a murderer, the, is, while the snowman yeah. is attacking Rebecca Ferguson, we discover that the actual killer, the snowman, is the new boyfriend of Michael Fassbender's wife, of which Charlotte Gainsbourg, is yeah. in no way ever alluded to us. It's nope. not like in a good mystery movie where they would plant something for you to, if you rewatched it, you'd be like, oh, that's, you know, that he was saying that because, like, that's that's a little clue that he was this, apparently, that just comes out of nowhere. Apparently the only foreshadowing, and I read this somewhere, I did not make the connection at all, is that in one scene, he's wearing an apron that has the same pattern on it that was in, that was on the walls at Chloe Sevigny's house. That's, so it's supposed to be implied that he took it from her house. What? That's so dumb. That's literally the only, also, the only foreshadowing. If he's killing nine years ago, why? You know, it's it's a weird jump to assume that he would go out of his way to find Harry Hole just to date Charlotte Gainsborough. It doesn't make any sense. Just, so he can kill her. Yeah. They have they mm. they seem to have no connection. It's just revealed at the end that his only motivation for killing is because. His mom was banging a cop or something and then died in a lake. Because like, he felt that his mother didn't want him. And since his father didn't want him either, that he was just unloved. And so so that's why he kills women in seemingly happy but actually unhappy marriages with a child. They don't really spend a lot of time at that point trying to explain any of his other uh motivations at that point it's just like okay he's the bad guy let's have harry hole find him and, and then, then yeah and then when they finally confront or when harry hole finally confronts him at the end he shoots harry in the shoulder out on like a frozen lake and then he's about to kill him and the ice cracks and he falls through and dies yeah. and i is that supposed to be like 
oh, it's all coming back around to where it started because his mother died by drowning in a frozen lake. So now he does too. It's it's so dumb. It's so anticlimactic. It doesn't make any sense. Also, I would have loved if after he fell in, a couple seconds later, he just crawls back out. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his guys like, oh, fuck. Oh, it's like, very cold. Fuck it. This isn't lava. I'm not going to die immediately. I, I can still get back up. And I, what I love is uh, when Harry Hole runs into, uh, when he confronts him, he's got Charlotte Gainsbourg and his son held hostage. He's got that little wire machine around Charlotte Gainsbourg's neck, and he manages to, to break out of his chair and get it around off of her neck, and then he grabs it, and then he turns it on, and it's, like, wobbling around. It's just like a, wa- like a loose wire, it's like, like whirring around. It's like a wet noodle that he's trying to put in front of him. And that's when, like, the weapon really seems so ineffective yes, and dumb. Yeah. Where, it, you know, it's cool just in terms of that very, like, methodical, like, that surgical, you know, the 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 methods of the serial killer. But as just a regular weapon, it's, no, it's, it's so, so dumb. dumb. It's so useless. I think we've said close to everything we want to say. The only other scene I want to mention, because it was very funny and made me laugh, was when... Uh, Harry takes his son to that concert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we only get one shot of the concert. And another reason, like, I don't know why they even included this. It's just a guy in a T-shirt screaming into a microphone wordlessly on the stage <laughs> with, like, lights flashing. It's just like a dude in a T-shirt going, ah! <laughs> yeah. And it like zooms in on like Harry and his kid in the crowd. It's like, what is this concert? The best right. part of that was there was one kid behind them in the crowd that was really into really, it. Really, really into it. <laughs> it like just... the crowd seemed like really into it. I'm like, what the fuck is and this? Also, some random dude was sitting right next to the sun. Which yes, even though there bad were pl- concert etiquette. There were you... plenty of open yes. seats. It's, yeah. It was not a packed concert, and some you... random guy is just sitting right next to you... them. You always have to keep a seat gap between strangers because then that's just unless unless the uh, unless it's sold out. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know. I totally agree. Um, well, well, that's, that's another thing point, that this movie seems to have time for the most ridiculous, useless moments that do nothing except ruin the pacing and just make you go. What? What? Yeah. I could not agree with you more. Just ugh, it's God. it's. Why is this so bad? Because when we started, we were giving it the benefit of the doubt. We're like, right. okay, there's weird choices, but nothing truly bad yet. It's just so lifeless. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem. It takes the tropes of, you know, all of these Scandinavian thrillers that were popping off, like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and stuff, especially with the style of it. Yeah. Right. You know, all it the, reminded me a lot of, well. you know, Fincher or even like other Scandinavian directed movies. Which is like, a yeah. shame because, I mean, the director, he's shown himself to to do a, a you know, a, a drama or a sort of mystery film. He's made very good films before. Yeah, yeah. So he should not have to keep being compared to David Fincher. He should be able to stand up on his own, but this movie doesn't do it. I would say what really, for me, sums up this movie really well 
is that it's only offensive in how mediocre it is. Right. Like, there's nothing super baffling. Like, we've mentioned a couple of really weird things, like how bad uh, Val Kilmer's ADR is. And the, the dancing scene. And the dancing scene and the, the concert. But for the most part, like, it's not... It's not, like, really terrible. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's really lifeless, like you said. I think that's a great word to describe it. And it's it's just it's just boring. Well, you can – people can tell by the fact that we have described very little about what actually happens Because in this there's movie. very little plot. Yes, and I so, don't know what it – It's so I, ineffective. Yeah, it's so ineffective. It's so just – mediocre like i think overall i like it better than uh amityville the awakening but only because like it looks really good it's well, just I think- it's just beautiful and like it it is atmospheric but the atmosphere never pays off in any way it, it meanders me- so much to the point where you know like there's no tight you know focus on the main story of it it just goes on all of these different tangents and none of them really service the plot in any useful way yep. and they don't add anything to the story i think of you know val kilmer filling his water bottle up with vodka and then <laughs> yeah. walking out onto the like outside roof. roof of the police station and like shooting his water bottle at the window at Toby Jones. There was no reason for that, really. No. Like, and that's just an example of like, there's so many other examples in this, this movie where it's just pointless tangents that they go on. I think it's because, that don't add anything. I think it's because there's barely a plot to begin with. They're trying to fill it out with something, but they don't fill it out with anything that's relevant. Well, and I mean, there's a way to do tangents. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you can add to the world and add to possible red herrings and stuff like that, but they have to feel like they belong. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it still needs to add on in terms of its themes or just overall, I mean, try and add on something for the characters, try and give them a little more complexity, but it doesn't do any of those things. They just feel like they're padding the running time. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they just didn't know what else to put in there. Yeah. Like the scene when Harry Hall saves his wife and kids and the killer's running away, he spends so long just trying to get, like, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Like, he takes... It's not even that it takes a long time to get the tape off her mouth. He just takes so long. There seems to be no urgency to yeah. chasing the killer. And it gives it gives the killer time to build a snowman before... Yes, he- there's a fuck. He goes outside and there's a fucking snowman. Like, honestly, that's the biggest problem with Harry Hole as a character is that he just seems insanely apathetic i don't he doesn't seem that like he cares about anything that's happening right well it's that as as i mentioned it's that thing we're told he's uh troubled but a genius we only ever see the troubled side we never we never see him do anything that would even constitute as like particularly good police work everything falls into his lap everything yeah even the way like a girl the girl with the dragon tattoo where the entire movie is like uh daniel craig and rooney mara like working together there's actual investigation going on they're talking to people they're tracking and they're compelling characters and they're compelling rooney Rooney mara's character i don't remember much about daniel craig's he's fine he had enough motivation in that movie yeah 
Yeah, I think so. More too. so than this one. Oh, I mean, God. yeah, Fassbender, you know, the insufferability and apathy of the character, it didn't bother me too much. The problem with it was, you know, there was no real development to his character. It, he was so static throughout the whole thing. His character didn't develop in any meaningful yeah. way. Doesn't feel you know, he learns yeah. anything. And then the ending is just so flat. It's him at the police station and they're talking about a case and he goes, I'll take it. And the film's like, it ends there. And it's like, that feels so cheesy. Yeah. Should we just get into reviews at this point? I don't yeah. know. Ratings. Yeah. yeah, let's just read let's this. Um, honestly, despite this movie looking nice, it's just so flat, so lifeless, so boring that I can't give it more than one star. Ooh. One pod. Just yeah. not yeah. worth checking out. No, it's very boring. I, I'm just going to give it a mediocre rating for a very mediocre film. Super lukewarm, two and a half. It looks oh, wow. nice. It's pretty, but you'll oh, probably wow. fall asleep. Well, I think what really lets me down is this was one of the movies last year where I was genuinely excited Same. about it. When I even, saw the previews, I thought it looked great. Even with the trailers, yeah, like the snowman there, like, oh, hope that isn't a big part of the film, but it turns out it is. Oh, God, this whole movie just... Well, just seeing the amount of talent, like we said, that is involved in this film. Like, lots of good actors, a good uh, the director. Screenwriters, too. One of them is Hossein Amini. He directed The Two Faces of January, which, which I like. I, I really well, enjoyed yeah. that movie. And it's just... It's so disappointing. This had... It just It was probably better than Amityville, but it had so much more potential to not have to be called better than Amityville horror. Right, I agree. And I think for that, I am also going to have to give it one pod, one star, one fucking yeah. crescent roll out of it. <laughs> just one snowman. Yeah, one snowman. <laughs> All right, well, I was clearly more generous than you guys were, yeah. but uh, that gives us an average rating of 1.5 pods, which mm. is lower than Amityville. Um, I not, mean, yeah, not really, not worth seeing overall. Do you guys, do you guys want to take a guess at the average rating on Letterboxd for this movie? Uh, uh, what, well, what is it like out of ten? One point eight, just okay. like we do. Uh, I'm gonna say point nine. You were spot on, Ben. One point eight. Damn. Oh man. Well, yeah, I almost feel like. If I was going to say watch one over the other, watch Amityville over this. Like, yeah, at least you won't be bored with right. Amityville. Yeah, probably. I think if you're alone, you might. But if you've got some friends and you want to get drunk, then yeah, I'd say. Yeah. that That's always our recommendation for bad movies is get some friends and get drunk. <laughs> and that's, that's central to a lot of movie-going experiences, too. Even in the theater sometimes. Like, we mentioned when we went to go see It, it was... It was a loud audience, but at least they were involved. And right. So there's there's something more to appreciate than an inattentive audience that's just making noise the entire yeah. fucking time. Well, and like, I feel like if you like, watch get out. either one of these movies alone, you're going to have a bad time. Probably. But you're yeah. probably going to have a worse time with the snowman yes. <laughs> just because you'll probably fall asleep. All right. So our next film is The Killing of a Sacred Deer by Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos. Lanthimos? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, this we're is not his, Greek, so we're we, not Greek. So, we're gonna butcher it anyway. Sorry, 
Sorry, Greek, yo. Greek listeners. Sorry, yo ago. Um, <laughs> this is his third feature film, I believe. The yes. other two he's done are Dogtooth and The Lobster in 2016. Um, 2015. I 2015. Think. Whenever. Um, yeah. This was actually my first Yorgos Lanthimos film. Yes. I've, I've heard. Only... I've heard The Lobster's excellent from both of you guys and yeah. other people. Uh, I've just never gotten around to seeing it, and I've heard similarly good things about Dogtooth, just not quite as high a praise. I really liked this movie yeah. a lot. I think he did one movie between Dogtooth and The Lobster. I think it's called alps i haven't seen it i've heard it's kind of forgettable but i've seen dogtooth and the lobster lobster is fantastic yes oh one of my favorites if not my favorite of uh the year it came out but uh yeah let's jump into killing of sacred year a little bit more well this is uh this is a horror movie i think it falls comfortably into psychological horror Mm -hmm. for sure and well it is also a dark comedy as well which is a style that sort of resonates throughout all of his other movies. I mean, I've only seen The Lobster, but it seems very clear to me that both these films have that same sort of tenor to them. I wouldn't go quite so far as to call this a dark comedy, but there are definitely darkly comedic moments. I don't think enough of them to really lump it into that genre, but uh, I, yeah, and that was something I had to ask you guys after we after we watch this because i haven't seen any of his other stuff like is his other stuff the same kind of like darkly humorous and absurd at times because in watching this movie it does feel intentional at times but i didn't know if the reasons i was laughing (laughs) was because i was supposed to laugh at something funny or if it was just so absurd that it was funny right well and that's The interesting thing, since we, uh, Ben and I, both came into it with that sort of context, knowing what the lobster was like, Ben knowing what Dogtooth was like as well, so understanding the kind of films he makes helped us to understand that a little more, and it was something that, I mean, eventually, like, we all all picked up on as it went. It's a very dry sense of humor. Yeah, It's played a little more comedically in the lobster at times just because the 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 concept is a little more right well the absurdly thing that, comedic the things that really sell the you know the the moments of comedy within this film are the performances which i thought all of them were absolutely stellar even the children there are two kids in this film and i thought both of them still just committed to yes. this film in a fantastic the way. performances were excellent across the board before we get into that we should because uh, i feel like probably not a lot of people have seen this movie i feel like we should yes in broad in broad that. strokes talk about what it's about um colin farrell plays a uh cardiologist a cardiologist a surgeon who uh sort i seemingly uh mentors this yeah, like just teenage he bef- boy he befriends sort of- this kid who seems to have some sort of i mean like he's got asperger's or something he's just he a seems to off. have some sort of yeah uh yeah. developmental disorder uh he definitely does seem a little bit off and so he sort of takes care of this kid uh, he meets with him every now and then. He gives him money. Uh, it's not immediately clear what their connection is at the beginning. Uh, yeah, which I, I, I thought it was going to be a sexual thing. I kind of did. Which, yeah, I kind of yeah. did too. Which it does I'm, not. Which is. Which I'm is glad good. it wasn't. I'm yeah. glad it wasn't. That would have been very strange. 
Um, but over the course of this film, this uh, teenage boy, uh, Martin, sort of starts to uh, very creepily try to insert himself into Colin Farrell's life. Yeah, he... And then some weirder stuff starts happening. We'll yeah. get into that. Um, we learn that the boy was the son of a patient Colin Farrell had once who died on the operating table. And so it's it seems clear Colin Farrell's got some sort of guilt from that, and so he wants to try and keep the boy company, but the boy becomes super attached to him. Obsessive, he, yeah. And he, he wants to invite him to his house so he can meet his mother and watch, and watch Groundhog Day together. Alicia Silverstone. Yes, yeah. right, and where she makes some very strong advances on him. Starts which, sucking on his hands. Yes, which yeah. is a thing I had never heard before, but I guess just doctors having really nice hands is a thing because they have to maintain them so well. So that was that's something they remark on a couple times in the film, how nice... Colin Farrell's hands yeah. are. Which... Well, his wife is played by Nicole Kidman, um, and then they have the two children, one a, a young boy, I would say around 10 years old, I would guess, and then a 14-year-old daughter. It begins with Colin Farrell having uh, Martin over for dinner to meet his family because he's told them that he's sort of like spending time with this teenage boy. The The daughter starts kim i think her character's name is kim and bob are the kids right yep yep and uh kim sort of starts to become weirdly infatuated with uh martin too (laughs) she keeps calling him really funny but i don't think anyone really laughs in this whole movie no no one says anything just because everything about the lines they deliver, it has a very deliberate sort of uh, feeling towards stiff, it. Stiff, almost yeah, a yeah. clinical feel. Right. Clinical, almost. That, yeah. just, it's like we're not watching real human characters. We're watching the sort of like the essence of the thoughts characters would have. Yeah, and so it's all very clear cut in a way. But that adds on to a lot of the humor and even the. The, some of the horror of the film is just well, the right. This is of it. This movie makes you very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It does a lot to do that, but sort of the way they talk, how clinical it is, like you said, and how it doesn't seem like the way real people would talk. That and sort of the way it's shot. There's a lot of these really striking, like wide shots that are just kind of off. Um. Yeah, the camera moves the, in very glossy ways that just the make music it feel otherworldly. Yeah, the music was another super atonal, really dissonant, uh, just like genuinely unnerving. Yes. And, and also the the main threat of this film is very uh, very abnormal. The what happens is the little boy. Uh, one day he wakes up and he cannot move his legs and he begins to not eat either. When, and then Colin Farrell finds out that the boy, as a form of retribution for the death of his father, 
since he lost a family member, Colin Farrell now must also lose a family member who he has to decide to kill so that his whole family does not die from this paralysis. Well, they take the young boy, they take Bob to the hospital, they do all kinds of neurological tests on him. The doctors cannot find anything wrong with him at all. So they assume that he is just faking it for attention or something or because he doesn't want to go to school or some shit like that. But then Martin shows up at the hospital and tells Colin Farrell that over a period of time, each of his family members is going to fall sick in the same way. First paralysis, then eating to the point or refusing to eat until the point of starvation, then bleeding eyes and then death. And that the only way Colin Farrell can prevent this is that he himself has to choose and murder one member of his family. And one of the things that I really like about this movie is that, yes, this stuff just happens, but it's never explained how. It's never explained how Martin has this power. It's never even mentioned. It's never questioned. Like, how is he doing this? It's just accepted that he is and that somehow he has control over it because there are a couple of times – where uh, eventually Kim falls sick to the same like the little boy and they briefly regain use of their legs seemingly only when Martin wants them to though. Yeah. And I think that is a really great premise that they don't try to explain it and go into like magic or curses or, or anything weird like that. It's just, this is what's happening. You have to accept that it's happening. It doesn't matter how just, that it is. And I think that in combination with the other stuff we talked about, how it's very clinical and weird and uncomfortable, like it all comes together really, really fucking well. Well, and that's an interesting thing because that's sort of what we didn't like about the snowman is some of this stuff felt too, uh, too seamless in a way that a lot of things just felt so, so high production that it, it was just like a, uh, a company film or something like that. Everything in this movie feels extremely deliberate, whereas in The Snowman, it's extremely meandering, and it doesn't know where it's going. Yeah, deliberate is a great word for it. I mean, I, I feel like both of the movies are pretty equally clinical in their own way. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer more in the approach and uh, tone. Uh, you know, and yeah. it, but the thing is, in the killing of a sacred deer, it feels kind of appropriate because yes. Colin Farrell's character is a doctor, so they kind of play up the clinical nature of it's like the role of doctor. It's like everything is viewed through like a doctor's yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. Everything is clinical, procedural. Deliberate. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very deliberate in that sense. And the thing is, uh, the film does take a very deliberate pacing, but at the same time, the plot plot is so central to everything that's shown in the film yes. that it never feels like it's too meandering. Never. It, it, it feels tight. It's exactly. It's very slow, but it's a continual build of tension. I will. We don't have to get into the ending quite yet, but I will say that the only time I felt sort of let down by this movie is sort of in how it didn't quite build up to the climax that I was hoping for, at least in the intensity. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll, a little we'll, further we'll into, into that. that. Um, but there's there's a lot of very dry scenes of humor in this movie. Uh, one I like is 
after uh, Martin explains the curse uh, to uh, Colin Farrell's character, he goes back to check on Bob, and Bob's not eating anything. Um, they oh, had yeah. gotten him a box of like a dozen donuts, like his favorite donuts, yeah, or to eat, and he's refusing to eat them. And we see Colin Farrell try to, like, force a donut into the kid's it's mouth. It's very funny. He, like, grabs one. He, like, holds the kid's mouth open. He's, like, shoving a donut, like, down his throat. He's like, you will eat this. You will eat the entire box. Five minutes flat. Uh, that doesn't. That's not what Colin Farrell sounds like. But, uh... Yeah, who could do the best Colin Farrell impression right here? I don't know. It's hard, man. It's sort of that subtle. You have like, to eat all the donuts. <laughs> you have to eat subtle. the donuts. <laughs> None of nah, us can do nah, it. Nah, <laughs> not no, at hold all. On, hold on. But, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. You have to eat all the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was exactly the same. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Oh, shit. Um, all right, I give up. But yeah, there's, there's that, which is really funny. And then at some point, like Colin Farrell, for a while, refuses to believe that, that this is like a, a supernatural uh, occurrence. Even Nicole Kidman and the kids start believing it before he does. But at one point, he's pushing Bob around the hospital in his wheelchair and he still thinks that Bob is faking so he picks him up and he starts to like try to force him to walk and he's like dragging him around the halls and he'll just like drop him <laughs> and then pick him back up and drag him some more and just drop him again and that scene is very very yeah, funny yeah that it's very funny and then after that he's in oh. desperation he's like uh if you tell me you're lying, I won't do anything. It's all right. But if I find out you're lying, I'm going to make you cut off all your hair and, and eat, eat it. it. I will. <laughs> like, I will literally make you eat your hair. And but also, probably the weirdest and uh, funniest thing in the movie is in that scene. Also, to try to to try to convince Bob to tell him that he's lying, he's like, "Oh, let's play a game. I'll tell you." Uh, something that I've never told anybody before, and then you tell me, and we go back and forth. And so his opening gambit is he tells his son about how, when he was his age, he had already been masturbating, but was concerned because he didn't produce a lot of semen. So he went into his dad's bedroom while his dad was taking a nap and jerked him off. Until completion. Until completion. <laughs> And at that point, I got up and walked out of the room for a minute because that just blindsided me so ferociously that I thought I might have been having a stroke and that I was imagining that that had just happened because I was like, there's no way that this scene just took place. Like, I like, is that toast? Like, am I stroking the fuck out? But nope. <laughs> No, Colin Farrell's the one doing the stroking. Yeah, God, that was that was a bit strange. I mean, again, it's just adding on to that sort of really. I don't uh, know how. Yeah, I don't know how effective that part is really in in the tone of the rest of the movie because it's just so out there. Right, and there's a couple of those moments where it, it seems like it's trying to push the envelope a bit too much in terms of. Because Nicole Kidman is trying to learn more about the surgery where the boy's father died. And to do that, she gives a hand job to one of Colin Farrell's co-workers. The anesthesiologist. Uh, yes, the anesthesiologist. Was, uh, yeah. And it's just a very 
it's something that didn't need to be there because there's never any other point made about Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman's relationship or that sort of sexual side. So that that didn't bother me too much just because the the whole explanation of Colin Farrell trying to justify the death by like surgeons never kill anyone. It's always the anesthesiologist. And then the anesthesiologist yeah, yeah. said anesthesiologists never kill anybody. It's always the surgeon. <laughs> right, yeah. They both say basically almost word for word the exact same thing but about each other you bring up a thing about uh colin farrell and nicole kidman's uh sexual relationship something that i think uh is also worth noting that adds to sort of like the weird creepiness of this movie is that apparently colin farrell has like a fetish about Nicole Kidman pretending to be anesthetized. Yes. Like on an operating table. Right. Like she gets into bed and she's like, just general anesthesia. And he's like, yes, that's fine. And so she just like takes off her clothes and just lies completely still with her eyes closed on the bed while he like fondles her and stuff. So like there's that's just another like really weird eerie sort of creepiness to this movie and there's just so much of that like when nicole kidman goes to martin's house to try to talk him into lifting the curse or whatever from their family and he's just eating a plate of spaghetti and he goes into a thing about how people always when he was little he was so proud because people told him that he ate spaghetti just like his dad but then he realized uh, while he was growing up that everybody eats spaghetti the exact same <laughs> yeah. way. And he said that that upset him more than finding out his father had died on the operating table or something. <laughs> and I feel like for people who don't know this movie at all, like this conversation is just super weird. Like, how is this a good movie? But it's just so excellent. Yeah, and it's the confidence behind the subject matter that really makes it succeed it's just it, it feels like a david lynch film where yeah, it's, it it's does. creating a very specific sort of realm you're exploring and just, it's very surreal yeah it's very surreal and yeah. and absurdist too which is what i like about it and the the decision to play all of the funny stuff so straight like to in no way acknowledge that it's supposed to be a joke somehow makes it work for me that much better. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason all of Lanthimos's movies that I've seen work is because they play the humor so dry that, you know, you're not sure whether you're supposed to laugh or not. Which is know? how I felt in a lot of this um, movie. It works super well. And I think the reason I need to rewatch Dogtooth uh, at some point, but I think the reason why it didn't work quite as well as this one or the lobster for me is because it's it's in Greek. So I wasn't sure when I first saw it if I was supposed to oh, laugh like or not because of the translation. Okay. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Because in English, the the humor translates very well. Well, right. I not to go off on a tangent for too long but i actually actually just listened to an episode of i think radio lab about like a very famous french comedian trying to come to the us and be successful and that he just continues to bomb because humor translates so poorly between france and the us yeah. that he has to figure out what's funny in the us and totally redo his entire style of comedy yeah well i mean also, French people have kind of a shitty 
sense of humor. Well, I mean, it's they just, think Jerry Lewis is a god. It's just, it's, it's just totally different in other parts of the world. Like even my dad, who's like super Dutch, you know, like his sense of humor is very different than an American sense of humor, and he finds things funny that. I normally would not, or vice versa. I find something funny that just doesn't click with him. And so I see how it's definitely the same At the same, same way. time, though, I think great humor is universal. And that's part of the reason why this movie works. Even though it may be, you know, I guess you could say a Greek sense of humor. Um, You're the only one who's seen Dogtooth. So. Well, it's, it's a similar sense of humor, okay. but I don't know if it's Lanthimos or a general Greek sense of humor. Gotcha. Um, but I think I think the humor in this is it it works so well because it it's so unique, but there there's a universal element of humor to it. Sure. You know, without being broad. The two kids, they lose uh, mobility of their legs. So at times you just see them crawling around the house. Yeah, dragging the house. themselves. Cause they're and, and that's that's funny, it you know. Funny. There's a physical humor to that. It's, that. I definitely think I'll agree with you that physical comedy is universal. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where I'll agree with you. Great physical comedy is universal. Other kinds of comedy, not necessarily. But well, I think that's the thing because it's stuff lost in translation. Yeah, you know. But I don't feel like that's happening at all in this movie. Not um, at all. Well, and it's in English, so that also, helps also too. yes, also yes. Um, but I mean, Lanthimos did write it, and he is Greek. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when Colin Farrell starts to get really desperate, he kidnaps Martin and keeps him tied up in the basement and like tortures him to try to get him to make what's what's happening stop. Yeah, and I I like how you know it'd be an easy thought to just you know kill Martin and maybe the hex would be lifted, but they they played that off like martin says if you kill me it'd be like killing four people with one bullet yeah he's like you might as well uh if you're gonna dig a grave for me in the yard you might as well make it extra deep uh and i what i i love that too like how stoic martin is through everything yeah and even when he's like kidnapped and being tortured like he colin farrell like t- touches his shoulder or something and martin bites him and then bites a chunk out of his own arm, and he's just totally, like, unflinching in the face of his own death. And at one point, uh, Kim crawls downstairs, because she's, like, in love with Martin, and be like, cure me, and then we can run away together, like, I'll let you free, or whatever. And he just, she brings him a cigarette, and he just, like, sort of sits there silently, just, like, looking at her, like, smoking a cigarette. It's just... That actor is really, really great. Yeah. He does a great job. Well, and the the most interesting thing about the development of the movie is as, you know, time goes on and things develop, you see each one of the three family members give, like, their own way of trying to stay alive in yeah. their own approach. So Bob, you know, he tries to uh, convince the dad to love him uh, by cutting his hair and you know, and like, he's like, I decided I want to be a cardiologist when I grow up, not whatever Nicole Kidman yeah. does. She's like a, she's an eye doctor, isn't she? Yeah, ophthalmologist. ophthalmologist. Yeah, he's like, I thought I wanted to be an ophthalmologist, but I think I want to be a cardiologist instead. Yeah, I liked all that. I thought that stuff was great. I yeah. thought it was too. Just 
basically plead with Colin Farrell. Even the wife is is telling him like it's obvious we got to kill the kids because we can always have another. Yeah, one. She, yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. Like she she like gets naked and tries to like seduce him by pretending to be anesthetized again, and he's just totally not about it. And she's like, well, and then she like snuggles up next to him, and she's like, I think the obvious thing to do is to to kill one of the kids because we can always have another one. Like I'm not too old, you're not too old. Uh, and if you are, like, we can do in vitro, blah, blah, yeah. blah, all this stuff. And then at a certain point, Kim is, like, after Martin doesn't heal her, he go- or she goes to her dad and is, like, like you you have to kill me. I, like, I will happily, like, die for the sake of my, my brother. Well, she my also mom. tries to run away. <laughs> You know, she will crawl away. Yeah, crawl away, yeah. not not really run. And even even at a certain point, Nicole Kidman uh, releases Martin while uh, Colin Farrell's at work. And when he freaks out and is like, "Why?" She's like, "Well, because what's the point? It's not doing anything." Yeah. And uh, so then we get into the climax, the final bit of the film. Yeah. Where he, Colin Farrell's gotten desperate. He goes to the, the school to try to ask the principal who he thinks the better kid is. Yeah, he's like, if you had to choose one, which one's better? <laughs> um, uh, but he can't make a decision. Ultimately, he's so torn between all of his family members. He loves them equally that he can't decide. And the clock runs out because Bob's eyes start bleeding. Yeah, and we've learned that after a couple hours after the the eyes bleed you know they're going to yeah, die. die yeah so uh he ends up uh duct taping all of them to chairs in the living room and because he can't decide he uh gets his shotgun puts on a a, a hat over his eyes yeah he pulls down like a beanie over his eyes and starts spinning around in a circle and yeah, and just firing at random, and then whoever he hits is so he just he makes the choice by random, right? Um, which it's it's a bit anticlimactic, but I kind of like that's that my idea. Thing, honestly, the fact that he is so torn, he can't make an emotional decision that it just ends up being up to chance. And like this to, this I, image of him standing in the middle of his living room, spinning around in a circle with a rifle yeah, and, a, and a beanie over his eyes, shooting at random, is is pretty fucking funny. I, th- I feel like it was such a fittingly absurd end to it, whereas if he would have picked, I feel like it would have cheapened the whole concept in a way. Because then it it justifies that one of them was successful in their method. I like that no one... None of the characters were particularly successful in convincing yeah, him. Yeah, nobody was able to convince him. And I like that okay, too. But the more I think about it, the less it bothers me. But overall, like, while I was watching the movie, just the way it was building up and it was, like, really ramping up nicely, like, I was expecting something grander from the ending, something more dramatic, uh, a, a greater climax. And while the the ending we have doesn't particularly bother me overall. I still think that because of what the rest of the film is doing up till that point, it still does fall a little bit flat for me. Okay, so here's a question I want to pose to you guys. Uh, Was there a character that you would particularly kill of the three? From a story perspective, I would say Kim. If I was trying to think about it 
from uh, Colin Farrell's perspective, like obviously there's some sort of relationship going on between Kim and Martin, even though she's clearly more invested. He does seem to at least have some sense of investment in her. And I think that by killing Kim, from Colin Farrell's perspective, that would be a way to at least somewhat get back at Martin. Yeah, I feel like Kim was the obvious choice for that reason. I think so. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm glad they didn't do that. We should mention that he, Bob dies. We didn't say yeah, that. Yeah, spoiler. He, yeah, he shot it, um, on his third attempt, shot Bob. But uh, I thought at a point they were going to do that, uh, you know, have her be killed like in front of martin and then he doesn't really care or something that's what i was thinking you know but i'm glad they didn't do that at the same time because i feel like that's a little too predictable i kind of like the fact that kim lived in a way even though it was frustrating when watching it after after the death scene we see the family in a diner at the and diner Martin walks in. It's the same diner where Colin Farrell had always been meeting. Martin. Yeah. Yeah. And Martin walks in and looks at the family and Kim looks over at him and she still looks like she's kind of into it. Yeah. It's hard to tell what her expression is giving. It's hard to tell if it's like defiance or if she's still sort of infatuated, it seemed with like there was a whatever. sense of longing. Yeah, it's, in her it's, eyes with that shot. A little bit. Uh, yeah, it's not super clear, which I like. Yeah, and, and then they, they get up and leave, including Kim. So we see that the curse has indeed been broken. She has use of her legs again, and Martin's gaze follows them as they leave. Yeah, nobody says anything. Uh, that's just that. And then it cuts to credits. And that part I really liked. Yeah. I, de- I enjoyed that a lot as an ending, how very open-ended it is. And it's like Martin got his sense of revenge, and in the end, nobody was able to do anything about it, but life still sort of goes on. Yeah. Um, I really liked that a I lot. Know, I thought, I thought that, was that was a f- perfectly fitting ending. Um. And honestly, like, the spinning in a circle thing, I feel like, is the ultimate absurd crux sure. of the story, you know? Like, the the reason I, I'm glad they did that, even though it can be kind of anticlimactic, overpicking someone is it leaves the agency in Colin Farrell. I think, I don't think my problem is that he picked randomly. I, I like that. I think the reason why it fell flat for me is in sort of the uh the execution um no pun intended of just him like spinning around with a rifle like if he had still chosen randomly in some form or fashion i would have been okay with it i was just expecting something a little grander i think yeah. it, it was so absurd though especially since he missed a couple times that's right. what killed me about yeah he misses twice um, and then on the third one he manages to uh get bob right in the heart but yeah overall i thought it was a fantastic movie Um, really well plotted and paced it's hard to compare it to something like the lobster because they're very different movies this one's very much of a smaller plot in a way yeah because the lobster lobster's trying to make a bigger point about relationships and the intimacy 
you might try and share <clears throat> with somebody and also the sort of limitations there are to that because of selfishness or just your own desires. Yeah. So it's trying to say a lot more than this one is, uh, whereas this one is more of a supernatural story. Well, and the thing is, too, uh, where the lobster is more about, you know, in a way, the society of the the story uh this one is very reined in and simply you know more about, more the, about identity the identity the identity and the family you know colin farrell himself you know i would i i would almost contend that the movie is just all about colin farrell yeah I and less so. about the family just more about him right and so. you know his views although Towards the end, we do for a while get sort of a shift in perspective where it focuses way more on Nicole Kidman than Colin Farrell, and he's kind of absent. And I sort of like that that brief uh, shift in perspective, but I would agree with you that for the most part, it is very much about Colin Farrell well, I and mean- how he's dealing with you get a little bit of perspective from all three of the family members enough so they're tertiary while like understanding their motivations and their their you know enough to make them not props yeah they're fully three-dimensional right and excellently acted i should yeah everybody everybody in this movie is great Uh the kids are fucking great i'm most impressed with the kids honestly because of the way this film has to be acted and the way the dialogue uh works i think that f- it would be very easy for young actors to just totally botch the fuck yeah. out of it but they they really kill it and the guy who plays martin is really good even though i know he's quite a bit older in real life than he is portrayed yeah he says he's like 16 in the movie yeah. well i i bought that he was 16 oh he i did looks, too i did too yeah. i was just i saw trivia that even though he and kim are supposed to be two years apart in age in the film they're actually 10 years apart. oh wow he's 10 years older than her damn i did not know that. so uh See, I've, i mean i recognize him from 72 he plays one of the young Irish soldiers in that movie, and he's also in Dunkirk. Uh, I still haven't seen Dunkirk yeah. either. He plays one of the kids that tries to go out on one of the rescue boats so he can, you know, try and serve oh, his sure. country. So that's uh, certainly in those movies, he does not have a very big role. This one, I I was really impressed by. I would say it's almost as much about him as it is Colin Farrell. We get we get a lot of time with him. Yes, yeah. Um, we get and, to learn his his feelings, just to sort of sit in his sadness a couple times. And he, is, yeah, and he really kills it. Uh, Colin Farrell's best role in years, as far as I'm concerned. I haven't seen The Lobster, so I. Uh, well, and I think he's he, he's great in that too. So. Yeah. Which I've which I've heard, and this yeah. is just this was just a reminder for me that he actually is a good actor because it seems like he's been in a lot of garbage lately, right. and, and he always sort of seems like he's phoning it in. I um, really hope the two of them keep working together, Lanthimos and uh, Farrell, because they're they they make a great partnership. Yeah, I can do. very much. Yeah, um, I can totally get on board with it. Is there anything else you guys want to say about this movie before we jump the, into rate this? Let's rate the fuck out of it. All yeah, right. Um, I would give this movie a solid four and a half out of five. Uh, it's near perfect, in my opinion. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, honestly, one of my favorites of 2017. It's up there. It's probably two or three on my 2017 list at this point. I haven't put it into my big list of movies yet, but it 
it's a solid, solid movie. Very tense, very uh, depressing, but at the same time, it's so dryly funny that it doesn't become too much of a downer. And it's very watchable. Um, excellent, excellent tone, excellent pacing. Acting is fantastic. Overall, just just watch this movie. I I can pretty well agree with you on on everything you just said. Um, I think that my relationship to this film is a little different because it's my first uh, Yorgos Lanthimos film. I, I distinctly get the impression that on future watches, I'm going to like this movie more and more each time I see it. But for me, just because I kind of felt a little bit let down by that climax, even though I totally agree with what you're saying, uh, at this point for me, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Um, I can't give it quite as high of a rating as you did, but I still think overall it's a really excellently done film. Like you said, across the board, looks great, acting's great, pacing's great, music is great. Um, absolutely a film worth seeing. Well, I was going to give it a four and a half as well, and I was going to take that half off because there is not a lot of emotional depth with these characters. But since a lot of that is intentional... I can't say how much the film would have benefited from trying to give them more uh, of that relation because you can say that it makes that final scene just ineffective because you don't really care who dies, but it's not really about the individual characters. Again, it's about what they they more so represent uh, in in a bigger picture. So I think... This really blew me away. I I still have to see Dogtooth, but The Lobster being one of my favorite films and this one just being so just such a experience to try and watch. I think I'm going to have to give it a 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5. All right. So that gives us an average rating of 4.5 out of 5. If we haven't gushed enough about this movie, like just just fucking see it. Just fucking see it. Check that's it out. All. Yeah, that's all I can say. Like, this is a, a great fucking movie. What are you going to do? See the snowman? Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think hands down we know which the best of these three movies is. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, like, yes, uh, yes. this was, uh, and I'm glad we watched it last, too, because I think it would have yeah. been hard <laughs> to get through either the snowman or the killing, or, uh, no, the snowman or the Amityville Awakening or whatever the fuck that movie's called after seeing this one. So with that, then what's our game? All right. So I have a weird different game. Uh, it is the uh, 2017 box office blast, I'm going to call it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you guys two minutes and 17 seconds. And I want you guys to, on a piece of paper, write down what you think the top 10 grossing horror movies of 2017 were. And then I have four bonus questions to answer we, as well. Are we supposed to do this off the top of the dome, or can we use a reference list of films that came out in 2017? Off the top of the dome. Okay. And what I'll do is I'll go through the top ten, and you guys will say if they're on your list or not. We don't and, have to put them in order. No, not in order. Thank God. Uh, each one of the movies you get out of the ten uh, will be one point. And then I have four bonus questions on here to answer, and each of those will be two points for whoever gets closest. You guys ready? Uh, yeah. Three, uh... two, one. 
time is up. Right. So uh, I, could, I answered the questions, but I could not come up with ten. I that could I thought not. Okay. Grossing. Did you get the last questions answered? Yes. At least? Yeah. Those yes. bonus ones. Okay. Okay. I did. So I will uh, list these off ten to one, and for every one you ha- you guys have, I will give you one point. Okay. So number ten, top grossing horror movie of 2017 was It Comes at Night. I got that one. Really. Okay. I did not put that so one on the list because I did Eugene. not think that that would be on there. Yeah, it actually really surprised me. Yeah. That's surprising. Uh, number nine was uh, Wish Upon. Oh, oh, that one about the stupid music box? Yeah. Please. Did not get that one. Um, <laughs> number eight was uh, the horror remake of The Ring. Uh, Rings. Oh, what? what? Yeah. Oh, shit, I forgot no that came out. Way. Yeah. Um, Jeez. Number seven was Jigsaw. Oh, I got that. got that one. Yep. Okay. Uh, number six was a movie called 47 Meters Down. Oh, that shark, that shark movie. movie. Weird. I never saw it. I never even heard of it, to be honest. I I, it baffled seeing, me that it was on this list. I remember seeing previews. It looked really bad. It's about heard- like uh, like a diver cage that like gets detached from the boat and like falls down oh, to the bottom yeah, of the ocean yeah. and there's a bunch of great whites that are swimming around it. Weird. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Uh, I never saw so. it. Wow. Well, uh, rounding out the top of our list, we have number five, uh, Alien Covenant. Yeah. Got that one. Got that okay. One. Uh, number four is Annabelle Creation. Got that one. Nope. Um, yeah. Number three is a little movie called Split. Yep. Nope. Oh shit! I didn't uh, that one. Number two. Well, these top two yeah, will be obvious. Two, get yeah. out and yep, it. Right. Got both of those. Okay. Like, did get out earn more, or was it the higher? It was, was the, the highest, highest. Okay, uh, by quite that. quite a margin. It yeah. was like three times more profitable. Oh, shit. It made like three hundred million at the box office. Damn. Insane. Um, okay, so on to the bonus questions. First question is: How many of the top ten were rated R? We know uh, PG-13 rated horror movies are very popular. I guessed, I couldn't even come up with 10, so I I just made it, I guessed 7. I guessed 7 as well, actually. It's (laughs) 6. So, uh, since you guys guessed the same, and... Don't get points. Yeah, I'm I'm just going (laughs) to give neither of you points. (laughs) Fuck. I mean, I could give both of you points, but what does it matter? Right. Um, Uh, Yeah, literally pointless. Literally pointless. Um... (laughs) So the next question is, what was the combined gross of the top 10 horror movies of 2017? I went, I went a bit high on this just because I think Get Out and It made so much. I said $1.3 billion. Whoa, shit. I said way lower than that. I said $500 million. The true answer is $956 million. Fuck. So just by a hair, uh, Eugene gets it. God Oof. damn it. Okay, uh, Damn, and then I have crazy. two more. Uh, it looks like Eugene will have this in the bag. Yeah. Uh, but we'll do these just for shits and gigs. Uh, the next question is, how many of these horror, top ten horror movies came out in the second half of 2017? Now, I, I could not remember, so I just had three. Uh, fucking Jigsaw, uh, It, and... Alien Covenant. I chose. Alien Covenant came out in the first half of the year. Didn't shit. Uh-huh. Fuck. I thought it came out. I said. Like I August. guessed seven. It was actually four. Oh fuck. Yep. Uh, we have uh, Wish Upon, uh, Jigsaw, Annabelle Creation, oh, and really? it. Annabelle Creation. Yeah, it came out in 
I figured uh, it would be more than August. that, just because okay. of Halloween times. Fall yeah, time yeah, for yeah. Spooky movies. Right. Um, well, just no, no good movies that managed to make a lot of money and came out. And yeah, I guess I not. Guess so, um, and then out of all of these, how many were sequels or remakes? Now, I, I did another guess. I said six for said Jigsaw, five. Annabelle, Alien. Uh, I, I included Split. Uh, because it's, I mean, technically, you know, yes. Yeah. And then it. So I said five. It was actually four. Oh, damn. We have <laughs> Rings, Jigsaw, Alien Covenant, and Annabelle Creation. Bullshit. Split should be on that. Well, I got one of those. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah. Split. Damn. Split. I mean. Oh, so then if it's five, then I got it spot on. Yeah. Right, split. Damn. Fuck. Right. Well, um, I mean, yeah, I obviously did very, very bad on that one. Ooh, got, boy. I got, I got but I have to say, that's kind of an interesting list. I, I'm surprised that it comes at night. Uh, squeaked it out right, into I the top ten. That. I'm yeah. surprised. Um, well, I don't know I mean, if it, I don't feel like they're... I don't feel like horror movies are ever, for the most part, super high-grossing, unless it's something like It or Get Out. Yeah. So I feel like a top ten list is a lot. Like yeah, no, it, definitely it's gonna definitely stacked. Uh, it Comes at Night made, like, $14 million. Right. In comparison to It making, like, $327 million. I expected, I expected Friend Request and Happy Death Day to be on the list just because people go see dumb horror movies. Right. Although, I do well, hey, really want to see Rings Happy is Death on Day. There, yeah, so. also that. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I, I probably should have done top five because this list that I'm using, there were only 33 theatrical horror movie releases in 20, uh, 2017. So that's like a third. The top ten is the th- uh, almost a third of them. Yeah, Damn. which is a lot. All um, right. Well, Eugene wins this one bing, again. Bing, bing, bing. That's bing, me winning. Bing. bing, bing. And this is Matisse losing. Bing, bing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so next week, next episode, I should say. Yes. Is, well, we are doing it next yeah, week. Yeah, true. So it is next week. To make up for how long we went between our last episode yes, and this one. Yes, because we know all the, the three people out there listening, which is us three. <laughs> <laughs> We've been away for a bit too long, so we want to just make sure we keep pushing out that sweet content. That sweet content. Yeah. So we're doing that, that episode tent, two weeks baby. in a row. We are doing the Nightmare on Elm Street original, and we are going to do the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Which is from 2013? No, no, no. 2010 or something. 2010, that's right, 2010. And so I get to pick the third film, and I am going to choose A New Nightmare, because it's, I think, a nice middle ground between the two. It's not necessarily a sequel. It's a bit of a reboot, also a meta take on the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So I think that would be interesting to talk about. Interesting choice. It's... Probably the Nightmare sequel that I've seen the most times, really? honestly. I, I used to have that on DVD. I've seen it several times. It's excellent. I've actually only seen the original and the remake. I've okay. never seen any of the sequels, so that'll be fun. Very cool. Yes, um, uh, well, it seems like a lot of people consider this to be one of the better sequels yeah, well, out of all the others. We'll primarily it's... be focusing on original versus remake, but we wanted to throw in something uh, fun to round it out. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm totally on board with that. Get hyped for that because it'll be quite the interesting discussion. Freddy Krueger is honestly one of my favorite uh, slasher villains. 
So it'll be a lot of fun. To I talk think we're about. gonna have a lot to say. You can expect it next Thursday, unless something terrible happens to us in between <laughs> now and then, which I suppose is possible. But thank you for listening. As always, if you like the show, share it with your friends. We really want to grow our audience some. We've we've got a few a few people who listen to the show regularly. But uh, give us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would really be great. If you like the show, we would appreciate that so 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 much. Also, very excited to announce that. Between last episode and this episode, we have been accepted onto Spotify. Yay! So I think we're. I think at this point, that means we're pretty much wherever podcasts are found. So, you cannot hide from us. Uh, the show is produced by Ben and edited by me. And Ben does our fucking banging theme music. <laughs> Another fucking theme song. Fucking it's my favorite song to dab to. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod People Pod. Please, please love us. Please, I need to feed my cat. I Please don't, like I don't have a real job. <laughs> yeah, we're going to set up a Patreon, and it's just so we can get Matisse it's cat just, food. Yeah, my so. cat is dying. Not Please. even human food. We'll Please eat the cat food. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I eat the cat food because I can't, I can't afford both. Yeah, uh, we're going to set up a GoFundMe for Matisse's cat and also concert tickets for us. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for those who do listen. We we love you and we'll be back next week with Nightmare on Elm Street. I fucking love that we're begging people to listen at the end of the episode <laughs> after they've listened to the entire thing. <laughs> we're just all well, tell, listen, tell your friends about it at least. We're sorry. The next episode will be better. <laughs> Share our links. <laughs> oh, alright, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I, oh, I'm Eugene Lundin. I'm <laughs> Ben Sheets. Oh, shit, that's right. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Woo!